your average of five people spend most time with. Yeah. Entrepreneurship requires you to love the product, love the problem that you're solving. While my risk capital is very high, my confidence is very low. So whether you like it or not like it, mm. your brand will be formed. Right. The question is you have to take control mm. of what is the direction that you want to mm. shape. Most leaders should have empty calendar. A lot of people wait for super clarity. हेलो आई एम मुकेश बंसल वेलकम टू स्पार्क्स और गेस्ट टुडे इज समीर महेश्वरी समीर इज़ अ डियर फ्रेंड वी स्टार्टेड आवर करियर टुगेदर एट डिलॉइट कंसल्टिंग इन 97 सेवन ही इज़ द वन हु इंट्रोड्यूस मी टू द वर्ल्ड ऑफ फिटनेस वी मूव बैक टू इंडिया अराउंड सेम टाइम टू स्टार्ट आवर रेस्पेक्टिव वेंचर्स समीर इज द ओ जी ऑफ डी टू सी ब्रांड्स इन द कंट्री ही बिल्ट मसल ब्लेज विच नाउ हैज़ द लार्जेस्ट मार्केट शेयर एंड वन ऑफ द मोस्ट लव्ड वे प्रोटीन ब्रांड्स इन द कंट्री Samir has deep insights about Indian consumer. He has very slow, thoughtful, methodical approach to building companies. I had so much fun talking to Samir, reminiscing about good old days as well as exchanging notes on what it takes to build an outstanding brand and outstanding company. I hope you will also enjoy the conversation. Samir, welcome. Hey man, super awesome to be here and super awesome to be connecting back. No, no, you have a very inspiring story, and I'm very fortunate I've known you for you know, almost 25 years now. Yeah. Uh, let me start with you know, you know, Healthcart is one of the lesser known but phenomenal D2C brand story. Last two three years, D2C has become very hot. You know, people are building D2C aggregators, all the D2C brand and so on. But you've been at it for last at least eight nine years, and uh, Healthcart and Musclebase are over thousand crore brand, profitable, continue grow 30 40 percent annually. 27% market share much bigger than on which is an international brand which has been in india for a long period of time is an outstanding achievement i think through this podcast i'll try to understand your journey exactly how you went about building it quite organically slowly study i think from lot of first principles fundamentals but before that let me go back i think you, you know both of us know each other for 25 years we are roommate way back in 97 in chicago yeah and um, you know i remember getting inspired about fitness and bodybuilding because of you in <laughs> 9790 you were like hardcore bodybuilder model many <laughs> other things i don't call myself model but yeah <laughs> we'll talk about modeling later <laughs> uh, some pictures also will pull out you know but uh, you were like you know so from bodybuilding yourself being a kind of you know quite fit guy to actually eventually choosing a profession in building you know whey protein supplements etc like how did the whole journey happen That's a loaded question. Definitely did not plan it this way. Uh, but uh, uh, I mean, first of all, amazing to be here, Mukesh. Uh, you have always been an inspiration, and I've followed you uh, significantly. So, so really, really a pleasure to be here. So, going back in time, how did I get into fitness? So, uh, I really got into fitness just around when I got into IIT. So, in IIT, in gym, me, who There are always like these three, four people who are always in the gym. Max three, four. So, but so I was one of them. Uh, how did I get into this? Is probably I don't know. Maybe got inspired by my 
maybe people around me who are working out there no one working on diet come on yeah iit ke pehle jab tum dekhte ho ki kuch kuch log yaar gym gym ja rahe hain aur bulk up ho rahe hain so that is somehow got inspiration there but iit mein because there was a nice facility there mm-hmm. iit delhi mein shayad karke hai so i used to go there and you know iit mein there's a huge problem of like finding food and all that so mm-hmm. basically i was one of those who'll go to this uh, uh, get this दूध का पाउच मैस का खाना लोगों को पसंद नहीं आता बट आई यूज टू ईट वाइट अट सो बेसिकली आई टी फिटनेस जर्नी स्टार्ट इन आई टी एंड समहाउ आई जस्ट टू इट एंड वेन वी मूव टू दूएस टूगेदर एंड वेन यूर रूमेट्स दिस वॉज वन थिंग विच आई ऑलवेज थॉट विल स्टे विद मी क्योंकि आई डोंट नो इट इज अ मैजिकल एलिमेंट ऑफ यू नो यू आर ऑलवेज हाई ऑन फिटनेस एंड बिग गुड थिंग इज वेर आई मूव टू द यूएस i just realized the facilities were so much more and i was practically mostly uh, vegetarian while in india so us ja ke thoda thoda non veg khana chalu kiya aur ekdam se i put on like maybe 5 kg of muscle mass so which was quite inspiring was that's great such a huge complex for me we are roommate i was very skinny if you remember back at the time i was like about 60 kg or something yeah, but and you were so, really into sports though i remember like you went for cricket match very very early on yeah i was always active so that way you know for being active was part and parcel but i was watching you in like 6 to 9 months you bulked up you all these you know bulging biceps and you know triceps <laughs> and so on and you know you know like how you are in 21 22 you are like you know formo world is quite now but has been in our dna since ancient times so i big time formo but i basically you know followed you i think initially you were also you actually quite guided my fitness journey like initially my gym going started with you and learning no no i remember how- those days and uh, uh, to be honest i distinctly remember this is like way after uh, uh, after uh, basically this was like barrier days right uh, yeah. right eh? so uh, uh, so basically we had both moved to the bay area right. and after that uh, basically we started working out together so i just distinctly remember it was a 2 to 3 month period and i was kind of doing this workout for so many years and i was kind of stagnated and there comes you with full kind of passion king let's just go and do it and when we started working out together you were so well researched and within 2 to 3 months i distinctly remember i gained like 10 pounds of like muscle mass or whatever i remember that was like 3 hours workout every day and <laughs> we were competing on a you know daily basis and i remember like we had this goal of getting to 80 kg right. body weight and we used to drink water to also add taking pounds of acid water two liter water yeah yeah i i think we got into that crazy zone and i distinctly remember i was in consulting i i used to travel for work yeah. and i used to carry my you know shaker all this together but that was like that was really got into the zone isn't this crazy samir like us work out of passion we are working out and all of that and some way both of us ended up in a fitness business you yeah. know i run gyms now <laughs> building your yeah. this way protein you know business yeah. is just crazy how life unfolds no no it's clearly um, uh, uh, so basically obviously never thought we we'll get into that I never planned it this way but uh, but i think somehow the dots connected and we started health card we found traction in fitness and i was naturally gravitated towards this so but uh, what's just amazing your passion turns into a <laughs> yeah I'm having phenomenal fun. I'm sure you are as well, and we'll talk more about that. But actually, let me ask you some questions we never asked you before. You know, let's just go even more back. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up? You know, how were you like growing up? You know, and yeah. maybe even reflect on you know what are some of the childhood experience might have shaped you. Your yeah. yeah. foray into bodybuilding and you know the entrepreneurial choices you made and so on. Like, is there anything looking back you are yeah. able to see in yourself? You know, that was part of your 
childhood experience yeah yeah so nothing shaped my uh, passion for fitness while i grew up but uh, so i grew up in jaipur and uh, grew up in a classic marwadi middle class family and uh, my dad uh, uh, used to be an income tax consultant he's a ca so so basically a classic marwadi family mm-hmm. uh, filled with lot of cas they only talk about business and money so somehow you get uh, you know this indirect mm. uh, and then there was obviously middle class values of working hard and basically doing all the things right putting all the effort and all that was ingrained but we were also uh, encouraged to take some initiatives mm. and i distinctly remember like one incident uh, not incident one episode which which def- definitely had a long term impact so you know how these dashera melas have yeah. So, uh, uh, so basically, we participated in the Dashera Mela. Parents said, "Ki karo, karo, kuch karo." And Dashera Mela me, you know, pura puri mahalla aata hai, aur itne saare matlab ek Ravan jalta hai, aur side me bahut saare stalls rehte hain. I don't know if you remember. Arey, basme bahut round banaye bhi hai. So, kado bola nee liya, kuch karo. Parents se bola ki tum jaake stall wagera lagao. So, bola ha chalo karte hain kuch. So, basically, ham char doston ne ek fruit chart ki stall lagaye. तो तो फिर ये था कि अब बेसिकली स्टॉल लगाई और फिर था कि कुछ ना कुछ याद करेंगे और सुपर हिट होनी चाहिए तो उसके पहले क्या होता था उसमें सिस्टम ये था कि आप घर घर जाके टिकट बेच करेक्ट तो वो रिस्पॉन्सिबिलिटी मेरी आ गई अब इमेजिन करो कि यार पहले तो दशहरा मेला में कौन जाएगा उसके बाद उसके पहले से तो मुझसे चार्ज कर लो वैसे तो वही जाके खरीद ले So I distinctly remember pain, I was like pain very, now buy later. <laughs> no, this was buy now. So you were saying pay now. Pay now, pay now, buy later. No, no, exactly, exactly. वही वाला वर्ड था. तो तो मैं फिर उसमें क्या है वो काफी शर्म वर्म भी आती है यार इसके घर जाओ नॉक करो. But I was like very driven. तो मैं एक-एक घर पे आता था. कई बार तो होता है ना दूर से अंकल कोई आ गया कोई तो नहीं है. <laughs> but but you know this is like just an example but i was very persistent i would go or uncle bolne beta wahi pe aake le lenge bola nahi nahi uncle ek to lena hi padega so as i kar kar ke we pretty much i sold out major tickets overall Sorry. and then when we were at the stall mm-hmm. uh, basically the uh, product to maine banaya nahi tha to food chart tha aur koi aur hi bana raha tha फिर उसके बाद वहां पे भी जाके जब स्टॉल पे कुछ और बेचना पड़ा तो वहां पे भी लोगों को पकड़ पकड़ के तो बेसिकली द होल आइडिया थोड़ा सा आपकी झिझक निकल जाती है Uh, which i think certainly has a indirect and underpinning and uh, that, that is how it was but basically look uh, growing up we were all surrounded by cas my dad is a ca my brother is a ca uncles are ca the wo classic tha ki bhai tum bhi chartered accountant ban jao aur kuch kuch karna but uh, i am always i always was very independent and i always get excited about you know certain new things and all that so uh, when i got exposed to science and all that i really developed a lot of interest and i was like you know yaar iit bada interesting lag raha hai one of my uncles had gone through iit program hmm. so i got really excited ki yaar bahut hi exciting hai accounting wagaire maybe not uh, you know that fun so that's why basically i just proactively chose science stream hmm. and then uh, the the uh, the science was so interesting to be honest like lot of people crept ki yaar iit mein itna padhna pada ye padhna pada 
But to be honest, that uh, preparation that we did, mm. it was like almost solving problems uh, and you know discovering that. So I really had fun, and I was fortunate to get through. Mm. So, so basically, that is that amazing. Yeah, I can already see a lot of dots connecting future. I know, like in between, you know, you actually worked in sales. You know, before yeah. starting Health Card, so yeah. you had a training as a salesperson. <laughs> you know, very early yeah. in childhood, yeah. family of you know accountants. I know, like you are very, very rigorous about numbers. Even yesterday, we were talking, yeah. and you we were like just spot on into numbers, yeah. right? So, but it's actually quite fascinating how a lot of our childhood experiences that we don't realize, but a lot of our later journey, you know, end up. Um, somehow informed by that and one of the things you know we talk in this podcast about people to just reflect on how was your childhood experience you know what your natural propensities were yeah. what you gravitated towards what you didn't like yeah. chances are those traits are still there that's right and you can you know over index on that as opposed to trying to blend in and do you know what other yeah. people are doing right yeah, yeah. so no, i think we end up reflecting back i wish uh we would have reflected sooner right. and kind of built upon some of these trends but absolutely right there are always these traits which are visible <laughs> Excellent. So let's uh, go back to late nineties. So you were quite adventurous by the time. I know you were always up for new experiences, experimenting. You had long hair. Long hair. <laughs> Definitely a very distinct body. Which is a, which is a very different <laughs> scene now. Things change over the of time. So yeah. few decades between that and now. Spigo, which I think so. You tried. You know. So we started your career in consulting. Like um, both of us started together in consulting, and then you. I think from if I remember, you moved to Bay Area and you joined a sales job. Right, right. What was the like? Just what thought was behind you know? Right, right. Sales. So basically, look, consulting. Uh, you obviously also we worked together at Deloitte. So when we joined consulting, the idea was like st- just trying to get into the US, try to understand how consulting works. So consulting was fun, for uh, absolutely fun because look, basically getting to uh, getting deep into technology, understanding how technology solutions are provided. But ultimately, just realized that Bavaria was where the action was in terms of technology. So uh, uh, you moved to the Bay Area, and then I was also looking to sort of plug myself into the Bay Area, where basically you get to. And then the thing was, I obviously wanted to work for a product company because product company allows you to go deep. So uh, got an opportunity to work with one such company, moved there, and uh, there also basically I just realized, uh, you know, in tech companies also there are different roles. You can do software programming, you can do product management, you can do sales. Yeah. And uh, uh, somehow I, uh, I landed in sales, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was a really good fit because um, uh, you are able to not only tie your technology experience but also the sales experience. So combination really gives you that independence and mm-hmm. li- little bit of an entrepreneurial feel to this. So uh, allowed me to. Uh, so basically, it was not very well thought out. We just wanted to go so and try. Were you good at sales? I remember you being very intense. I think you were very focused, and I think you were in pre-sales for some time. I remember yeah, so, yeah, which requires yeah. you know putting together these demos, you know, pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, and yeah. I could see that whenever we interact, you know, just yeah. out of intensity. So did it translate into good outcome? No, no, absolutely. So uh, I think it was a transformational experience for me uh, because uh, typically when you think about sales, you just like have this view that people just go and kind of say, you know, there's a sabun bejra wali feel aati hai ki aap tum ja ke kisi ko sabun bejra kar gaye. But uh, but basically in uh, enterprise sales is quite tricky in my view mm-hmm. because uh, if you go into the science of sales, there are three or four sort of people Who are going to sign up on an enterprise sale, mm-hmm. which could budget? You know, the budgets are like a million dollars. Yeah. So basically, you really need to get navigate this, and you really need to have the right strategy for between like a pre-sales and sales. You will divide and conquer. Yeah. 
so uh, so basically uh, you know i used to bring the expertise of understanding technology and kind of demonstrating the solution and then the other sales partner will sort of navigate through the budget process right. but then you really have to also you know kind of navigate the system right. so it was an amazing experience and uh, uh, lots of uh, fun things where you really work hard you have very little resources yeah. uh, and somehow you are able to beat the biggest and uh, the best yeah. and i think that gives you a lot of confidence in terms of very very entrepreneurial uh so i really had a lot of fun doing that so you were like a star sales person huh? meeting uh, all your i was and... i was part of the quota club which right. is that uh, top 5 10% of people uh, year on year right. so i was consistently delivered amazing how, and how long did you do this sales job so basically uh, i uh, uh, worked with this company for 5 years okay. out of this 3 to 4 years for sales okay amazing so you know that's i think if you get to i mean anyway you started very early selling fruit salad in your you know high school <laughs> I was recently talking with Nitin Kamath, and he was talking about how his call center experience taught him so many lessons about sales. There, is, I mean, some ways in life we are always selling. You know, yeah. the, whatever we are doing, you as an entrepreneur, you are selling to investors and employees to join. Obviously, selling yeah. the product to customers. So yeah. I think must have been a great experience for four or five years. Really getting hardcore. So sales. basically, look in US. Uh, 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 so frankly speaking, when I was transitioning to sales, uh, I got a lot of uh, uh, informal advice that you know because the sweet spot of all. Uh, all the people going from iits and yeah. india is like basically stick to either technology or right. product basically so it was slightly a riskier move that we were like ki, because look uh, you uh, in india you feel very comfortable right. uh, but in us basically it's a different uh, uh, you know different you know different sort of uh, 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 different setup mm. so basically there's a little bit of learning curve to get over the hump of uh, you know uh, are you too conscious on this right. so basically it really pushed you um, uh, it was i think it was really for experience and definitely had a a uh, lot of indirect sort of learning mm. uh, so in like your 20s you know you were uh, just um, at some level you were quite focused on your career whatever you were doing you were doing it with full intensity and commitment and hard work and so on but here simultaneously you were also pursuing your own interest definitely you no know, fitness was one big interest for you at that time um just do you remember being you know in 20s you were kind of calm and self assured and you know or you were anxious and you know willing to go somewhere really fast so uh, so to be honest look we are uh, in 20s you are discovering yourself so what i uh, figured about myself was uh, i i was really dedicated to work and i enjoyed the process of work so basically let's say you're working on a sales deal and you'll completely immerse yourself and you put your 100% but at the same time i was also uh, realized that i always needed some new things where i can push my boundary on dimensions which i was not exposed to so fitness kind of stayed as a kind of parallel hobby but i was looking to kind of learn about the product get into something else and that is why basically i had this anchoring in my mind that i always wanted to go to a business school mm. and business school would be that one a platform where you can take a break and maybe uh, spend good dedicated 2 yeah. years to kind of just you know right. maybe chill and maybe learn right. <laughs> dedicatedly and then you can basically figure out what you want to do right. so uh, frankly speaking i uh, i always had this business school mm. uh, okay. thing uh, uh, ever since i moved to the us okay. but then basically uh, maybe like the work too much and mm. maybe the whole uh, tech boom was happening 
but I definitely wanted to go to the business school at some point of time, and that was my way of sort of moving that. I direction. want to you know just build on that because I know a lot of people who are watching this are you know early in their career, and people in their twenties you know sometimes there are a lot of question marks and confusion, and sometimes you know <clears throat> by then people are twenty five they feel like you know life is running past them you know they have not arrived yet. But if I look at your journey, you know, I think a couple of things standing out. One is whatever you were doing, you were doing it with full commitment. You know, you were, I mean, you were part of very large organization. So it's not like as an early career, you have huge empowerment or you have access to the company strategy or, you know, you still, uh, you know, you are uh, trying to fit in the largest scheme of things. Yet you were, you know, working hard, trying to make the most impact. And which is would have you know helped you get noticed in the organization. I'm sure it helped you also later to get to business school that we'll talk about. And yet, you know, whatever other time you were exploring, you were trying to find yourself, you know, pushing your boundaries. Yeah. I think that seems like almost a pretty reasonable template to follow in twenties. You know, find something, do it really well, push yourself in that. You know, not small wins, and yet also you know keep an open mind. You know, don't get too committed to something. You know. Try different directions, right? I mean, that's a so I don't know whether it's by design, by accident, but you know, seems like a pretty good way to you know. No, definitely not. Look, if anybody says that this has happened by design, they are just <laughs> not telling the truth. Look, all of us or all the people in twenties are exploring, and that is what we need to do. So I think sometimes uh, uh, it is just a discovery process of figuring out what your core uh, strengths are, yeah. uh, and basically not trying to. Chase somebody else's goals. Yeah. I think that I, I think that is what I feel is important. And the other thing is, look, uh, sometimes you are so engrossed in the process, you lose track of time, mm -hmm. which is what also happens right. to some to, to some degree. Yeah. So uh, my recommendation is, look, basically, you should definitely be honest to uh, your own self and find your own strengths, but definitely uh, have some objective goals mm -hmm. so that you don't, uh, you know. Uh, spend way too much time on something which can <laughs> right. yeah i think i think also keeping in mind 20s is really that that's also discovery phase i mean the careers are made over three or four decades yeah so there's so much time ahead i mean even say in 20s also i had the i definitely had that feeling ki you know things are happening you know by that time late 20s feeling ki kuch nahi ho you know whatever i'm trying nothing is working i had a sense you know I mean, much much later i realized that you know that is too short of a time frame uh, and just you know, just using the time for primarily for the learning vehicle, and also developing some core skills. In your case, you know, just even working hard on something, you know, in a uh, focused manner is a skill. Uh, sales is definitely a skill. So, but you had you had clarity also that you want to do business school. I also at the same time I did not have full clarity, but some vague desire. So also. I had a question for you. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. I think you asked very very relevant questions, and I in fact I'm very curious to hear your answer. Because, uh, uh, you know, from what I remember, uh, you always were the risk taker. Right. And you were ahead of the curve in terms of thinking on how the future will sort of shape up. You were very well informed and all this. So basically, this whole question around we are in a hurry right. to quickly do things. And look, if you think about it, like we all transitioned from, yeah. from India to a different country. Right. Uh, we were doing this first job in Deloitte, and after that, basically, uh, we all moved to the Bay Area. You, you, uh, what was your thought process? Were you always uh, kind of feeling that you are uh, wasting too much of time and you want to do things quickly? And how did you like sort of manage that? I think so, some of it is retrospective, you know, thinking, right? So I do, I won't have this language to describe in twenties, but I think what was going on is 
One is I've had this intense curiosity. Again, this goes back to childhood. I was very, very curious. I'm still curious. I really want to understand things, you know, a little bit of even how, why this podcast is happening. I really want to understand, you know, how people who create exponential impact, what is their journey and what different journeys look like. So the curiosity was a big part of it. Hence, you know, I used to always read, you know, I used to just keep me informed about different things. Second is also, I think I had a huge comfort with risk. I didn't realize and you know some things that we'll probably not talk about in this <laughs> podcast. But I, I was, can if you want. <laughs> uh, not today, we'll save it for later. Yeah. But uh, so I had that comfort with risk, you know, I just, for example, you know, first job that we started together. Yeah. Just little one fine day, I felt like I didn't have to quit the job, drove to, you know, area, tried to start a company, right? Yeah. And it was, for me, it didn't even feel like a risk. It's like if I felt like I want to do it, I was able to do it without worrying too much about consequences. Yeah. Now, that's a definite double-edged sword. You know, every time you take risk, the bigger the risk, the you can also fall very hard. Right. But I had that, you know, some of the comfort and I stayed true to that. So I think the credit I'll give myself is that I didn't hold myself back. And a lot of those risks did not work out. You know, I had mm. in 20s, a lot of failures. You know, I think some you are aware of. Yeah. But for me, the sense of adventure, thrill, accelerated learning yeah. was more than the potential setback and actually real setback also. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of real setback, right, you know, coming back to, uh, you know, our mid-20s, I think around the same time, I also started thinking about business school, but it was like, again, you know, just very short-term thinking, so and all of that. And obviously, as a result, you know, didn't get into any good school. While you got into Harvard Business School, which is basically, you know, the aspects of business school one can go to. So how was the whole experience? You know, how did those two years went for you? What did you learn? You think retrospect, you know, has that experience played a big role? So I, so basically, if I think about, look, I always think about, if you reflect back, what are the best memories that you had? And nine out of 10 people who have gone to IIT, definitely IIT would be that period. And that is clearly true for uh, everyone who has gone through it. It's just, you get independent, such a guarded ecosystem and learning environment, just amazing. Uh, but definitely this whole HBS experience was game changing for me. Uh, and I'll tell you the reason, the two years was so amazing. And there was nothing like uh, what the hype was. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I, I really feel basically what happened is, uh, I am also a believer, if you surround yourself with an ecosystem of highly motivated people, it really ups your game, right? Right. So it really, uh, without knowing, uh, subconsciously you yeah. start to sort of uh, act in that manner. And the two years were amazing. You meet amazing people and extremely ambitious people. But at the same time, uh, people are pushing each other to kind of find themselves. Right. Uh, uh, so basically, business school was amazing. I will definitely not trade. A lot of people say, oh, would you take this much of a loan to go to this mm. business school now? I was like, you know, there's one life yeah. and treat this like an experience. And uh, I would I would have not done it any other way. Outstanding. So, I think the one thing you said is surrounding yourself by really, really smart, driven, ambitious people. I think that's also very important. I really like this quote, which says, your average of five people you spend most time with. Yeah. And yeah. we absorb so much with the people, you know, around us. I obviously did not go to business school, but Silicon Valley is again, you know, yeah. very high concentration of yeah. highly driven, ambitious people. You know, every Tom, Dick and Terry think he will invent something, will change the world. Yeah. And then after five years, he actually did, you know, so yeah. many examples of, you know, doing yeah. from my time in Bear and I'll tell you one story. It's uh, I was just almost embarrassed to tell the story, but uh, in uh, 99, you know, when I moved to Mountain View, uh, one of my um, uh, roommate's friend was doing PhD at Stanford. And uh, one day, you know, we were all 
you know, meeting for lunch. He came back from Stanford. He's saying, you know, he went to this uh, some demo day equivalent at Stanford, and there's a couple of other PhD students. They're building this search engine. Yeah. And uh, in those days, we had Yahoo, um, Lycos, the yeah. bunch of you know so many search engines. And I remember kind of laughing, you know. We search engine given on. I decided to already have something built there, right? Yeah. And obviously, it's, you know, no guessing what that company was, right? <laughs> but you know, so you see, you know, again and again. So I think the point is consciously choosing to put yourself in an environment yeah. where you are seeking out people who are much smarter than you. Yeah. That will do amazing thing to your mindset, your thinking. Right. You know, the choices you'll make, what you observe, right? It's a sometimes people may not put a lot of attention to who I'm spending time with. Yeah. And Bangalore is now evolving to be one such like there is a you know. Hotbed of startup activity. In fact, HSR layout. You know, we're very close to HSR layout. Yeah. There are hundreds of startups, if not thousands, here, right? Yeah. And therefore, the concentration of you know talent, ambition, is starting to happen here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm a big believer. But uh, look, let me ask you this: When you moved here in 2007, yeah, did you miss that uh, ecosystem? 100%. You know, for five, six years, I did. Mm. But slowly, slowly, that ecosystem started to happen. I could see you know, a lot of people started moving back. You know, yeah. and for, among my friends, you moved back yeah. two years later. Yeah. You know, Mukri, another close friend, he moved back, you know, to start Amazon in India. At Mintra, we were able to actually recruit a lot of people from Bay Area. And one thing yeah. I feel really good about in 2011 yeah. to 2014 period, we recruited a lot of people from Bay Area. Eventually, when you were at Flipkart, We actually started recruiting from Google in Bay Area. Wow! So I'll go for recruitment trips and say, you know, that's awesome. Feeling like you know, India has arrived. You know, we had a value proposition. Flipkart was obviously doing you know pioneering yeah. things, and we were able to sell the story. So I think yes, I think e- ecosystem was sparse at that time. Yeah. But then you know, for me, the other thing kicks in. You know, this is a wild, wild west kind of thing. You know, yeah. Whole open wide space, India is taking off. So there's a lot Absolutely. of excitement for that. Absolutely. So you, what did you do after HBS? You know, did you start? You had an entrepreneurship right away, or you work somewhere. So look, uh, HBS was where this whole entrepreneurship bug took yeah. uh, got me. And first of all, in business school, uh, you know, this is the first time I realized there are so many other professions like consulting, banking, mm-hmm. private equity, and all that. I, I had no idea. I was like living this. Uh, there's only tech. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that is where basically I got really excited. And then you. Uh, got uh, you also learn so much uh, macro like mm-hmm. what's happening in this country that country so i really got excited about you know india's prospects uh, and uh, i didn't uh, uh, what used to be a field study or something mm-hmm. that i did a business plan based on india and i was really tempted to sort of move back to india right after mm-hmm. uh, in fact i temporarily moved for 3 months yes, but my biggest learning is Uh, without full commitment, <laughs> you know these things never work. So I actually came uh, in 2007 for two three months. I tried the, the you know partially committed, but then I had the uh, security of going back. Uh, so I decided to build my resume a little bit. Okay. So moved back to the Bay Area uh, and uh, worked for an investment bank. So you so did the same thing, and then you went so back. So basically, look, I was not uh, 100% committed uh, because I always had this question. I was trying to maintain this option value. And uh, we had this, uh, so basically decided to move back to the Bay Area and mm-hmm. worked for UBS Investment Bank. And investment bank, the thing was, uh, uh, it was obviously you know it's like the thing to do. Yeah. And also, I had taken this as a challenge. I used to hear that people have to work like eighty hundred hours mm-hmm. a week. How do they sustain? Right. I was like, you know, uh, finance was new to me. I was like, you know, let's go and do yeah. it. But then I realized, look, it works like a magic for a lot of mm. people. But uh, I was looking for a lot more creativity. 
So we used to do these a uh, lot of Excel models, and right. I used to uh, I was part of the technology coverage group. So essentially, used to advise technology companies mm -hmm. in terms of their capital raising and right. and all this. So um, so you really got good at like you know modeling and figuring out the data and all this. Uh, but basically, it used to work like a uh, so so I was missing the creativity and understanding one level deeper because you can easily model like gross margins will move from. X to Y, yeah. but what really drives that gross margin was a question that I was right. discovering. Mm -hmm. So I kept going back to this whole idea, this whole entrepreneurial thing never got out of the system. Right. Mm -hmm. So despite of working 80, 100 hours a week, which is like practically sometimes you not long? even come back. But is it, was it one year? Two years. Two years. Two years. So that's what so, grew to a six to eight. Uh, this was uh, 2007 to nine. Awesome. And so in the middle of the financial so crisis. So that, is, that was one thing which uh, made me believe that. Uh, uh, so basically the whole thing was, I kept going back to this whole idea of entrepreneurship. And I used to talk to people that, you know, kuch karte India chalte and all this while doing all this 80 yeah. crazy hours uh, in banking. And then I'm, I also have this trait that I have very little patience for mm. when people just talk, talk, talk right. and don't do things. Mm. <laughs> so, so you know how this is in Bay Area, once you stay or lived in the US for 10, 12 years, people will have this cocktail right. discussion, oh, India is happening, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, look, every by every passing year, yeah. your opportunity cost goes up and you have more liabilities. Yeah. And it is very, very unlikely right. that you will be able to do this. So basically in 2000, Eight nine we uh, uh, so 2008 our son was born and my wife was also going through the business school there and at that point I just realized that uh, either the move is going to happen now mm. or basically we'll just stay happily right. in the US right. and uh, obviously I was all following your trajectory that <laughs> you had gone and started a company in India it was very exciting so that is where basically I decided to pull the plug and moved here in 2009. I think, and that's, uh, I know pulling the plug is not easy. Uh, yeah. 2006, when I was thinking of building Mintra, so same thing, you know, I talked to my colleagues there, ki India chalte hai, company hai, all of that. Yeah. And two people agreed to be initial co-founders. And then we all pl started planning, ki kab and all that. And then, like for me, decided to you know, resign, kar de, all of that started planning. And very close to that, both informed me, ki, yaar, abhi abhi we are not ready, ye, like, <laughs> then I said, okay, I'll just go ahead anyway and see, you know, so. No, but people don't realize it. I think, uh, frankly speaking, this letting go of the option yeah. value Correct. is actually quite big. Yeah, uh, This is true everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, I also feel that, uh, you know, ultimately it's just that uh, commitment to one cause yeah. and letting go of option value makes all the difference. I think so. Let's just a little bit of, you know, maybe underline that part, right? It's because I think I know a lot of people listening to this will probably have entrepreneur ambition and so on. But at some point, making the call, letting go of something, you literally bird in hand for who knows, you know, 100 in bush or zero in bush, right? You don't know what is going to happen. But I think finding that uh, able to let go and reducing your option at some point, yeah. and people can keep growing options, they can hedge and all of that, that also works to a point until you have some kind of uh, safety nest and confidence and skills. But at some point, one has to let go of a lot of options. Otherwise, you will not be able to fully double down and figure out, you know, yeah. what you can find. So I 100% agree with that. In fact, a lot of people, when they informally ask me, uh, uh, you know, I'm working in this company, that company, and maybe I'll do this after yeah. this. But frankly speaking, entrepreneurship doesn't require any such skill. Yeah. Uh, so entrepreneurship requires you to love the product, love the problem that you're solving. And for that, your passion and persistence is the only thing. Yeah. And 
none of the companies can teach that. Right. So uh, while we keep procrastinating because we are, uh, but but the problem is with procrastination with every year, your opportunity cost will keep increasing. Yeah. And also you will become too analytical. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and my view, uh, risk adjusted rewards uh, for entrepreneurship is very low. Mm-hmm. So once people analyze it too much, it just uh, So while I, <laughs> I want, you know, absolutely agree that there's probably no age, you know, you can probably be an entrepreneur at the age of 20 or the age of 50. And there are many examples of both and every age factor in between. So if someone has the uh, confidence and courage to start in their early 20s they can they can and there are many examples that they are as successful you know, people in their more experience but there is also something to be said about uh, just mental preparedness and some financial stability if you work yeah. for you know five or ten years yeah. you can have probably you know bank balance that can support you for two three years some basic you know f- family obligations are taken That's care of also sometimes confidence you know depending on where you come from you know you were selling fruit salad you know in high school <laughs> I had you know when my risk capital is very high, my confidence is very low. Like, you know, I always used to like think of Kim Rishi Yoga. You know, that's a, and that confidence. Never, never felt like that. I was able to <laughs> mask it somehow. But I had very deep, you know, insecurities. You know, it took a long time to get over. So having some financial stability, some confidence, some success in their belt, knowing some people, I mean, those are also intangibles. The problem is, look, with the problem with financial stability is you will never know how much is the right stability. Yeah. So my rule of thumb now is, if I look back, uh, I feel that you need to have a runway for two years. Two years, two years. And you should not compromise your day-to-day lifestyle for two years. Yeah. Uh, Because look, it's a tough journey, right? You will have obligation to your family, you will have obligation to, you know, your investors or whatever. So you need to give a clear runway for two years. And then if it doesn't work out in two years, then you need to be honest. And while it is very, very difficult to work out, but... Uh, of course, since both of us agree on that, you know, we can probably, you know, uh, just highlight that as, you know, kind of first formal tool for, you know, people who are thinking of starting entrepreneurs, create it towards your runway so that you can, you know, work at something peacefully. And don't compromise on the lifestyle while you're pursuing that two to three years. I think yes. that is quite important. Or at least, you know, reasonable lifestyle. Reasonable lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I mean, reasonable yeah. lifestyle. Right. <laughs> Right. So, okay. So you worked at UBS and uh, any skills you think you developed during your UBS career as well, which you know might have come in handy for you later? So I, I think banking, one big takeaway is the work ethics. Yeah. So basically, I distinctly remember there were a few nights you will not come back. Right. So basically, you're working nonstop 36 hours, 48 hours or whatever. That's not work ethic. <laughs> no, no, no. Work exploitation. So no, but I'll tell you. Uh, uh, so even today, uh, so one big takeaway is obviously on a, on a lighter note. When I am using Excel, I don't need to use the mouse. Mm. So I have all the shortcut keys right. and all that. So uh, so this is one takeaway that every backer will have. Uh, but on a, uh, on a I think it teaches you a little bit of perfection. Mm. Uh, because while uh, you know it's very quick to sort of analyze information and jump to conclusion, but in banks, basically, you know, even if we had one small formatting error on a PowerPoint, right. Literally, uh, the 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 MD will like throw the presentation at you. <laughs> so so basically, you know, while while it is uh, you know uh, while you can say the culture is bad or whatever, it teaches you. Uh, it is designed to teach you a little bit of perfection right. because you have to be detail oriented and all that. 
and that has stuck to me. Right. Uh, uh, so while now I can let go of a lot of formatting errors, but internally I always think that this should be. So basically it teaches you work ethics that you will go the extra mile to make sure uh, that you're detail oriented right. and all this. So that, I think that was a big ticket. Amazing. Also, I'm guessing, you know, two years analyzing all these um, financial statements, various companies, you probably really deeply understood, you know, how to read cash flow statements and yeah. PNL statement and yeah. balance sheet and so on. Because a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, don't know that or don't learn much earlier. But, you know, you even before you started, you know, yeah. you already probably had deep understanding how to read financials, sure. you know, how to analyze financials, see patterns and so on. And you obviously had the you know, sales experience, you know, those two. So I think combination of business school, yeah. because business school also teaches you that. Right. So you at least are very savvy in terms of understanding financials and all that. And, uh, and as a investment bank, you certainly are able to understand them uh, quite a bit. But uh, these are skills that you can pick. I would not over-index them. Yeah. Uh, but basically, uh, you need to have basic understanding though. Uh, and definitely add that. Advantage. So you were in banking in 2008 when the financial meltdown was happening. I mean, it's yeah. probably you know worst time the financial you know in the services industry would have seen. Yeah. Did it affect you or UBS? You know what was your only? No, no. So clearly, look, basically, in fact, uh, that also became a good trigger point because uh, you know banking. I got into banking because I was really excited about finance because finance is something that I was learning for the first time right. in business school. And I had the best grades in finance. And <laughs> so basically I got uh, into this and became a challenge that let's work for this. But then it was also this whole promise of this will pay you a lot. You can pay off your debt and all this. Mm -hmm. And then when this whole crisis happened, it was very clear that, uh, you know, basically the whole industry was going through a shift. Mm -hmm. So, and I realized this was not going to be a long term right. for me overall. So after two years at UBS, you know, you quit your job and decided to move to India. Can you just quickly... Recollect your thought process, you know, how did you arrive at the decision and then multiple decisions simultaneously, you know, quitting your job, starting as an entrepreneur, moving back to India. Like what is, you know, just how long was, is the, did you think about it for a long period of time or the decision able to take fairly quickly? So basically, look, the thought process was going on uh, since I started banking mm -hmm. uh, because I, I was constantly thinking because we had done this business plan and mm -hmm. temporarily for two, three months. Right. So I thought this journey is going to be a lot more exciting. Mm -hmm. And I kept missing that uh, insights that I was looking into business. So basically, look, uh, banking was fun, but I was constantly going back to this. And that's my learning. Look, whatever you do, yeah. that 100% commitment is extremely required. Otherwise, you know, you just right. can't sustain. So basically, kept talking to people, kept talking to people. And then basically, then I realized then uh, when Siddharth was born, mm. we just realized that basically, uh, it's going to be difficult year on year. Right. And my wife was also going through business school. Uh, so basically, we were like, uh, uh, let's just rush this out of the system. And uh, I uh, was friends with Prashant, who was also looking to move back to India. Right. And that is where basically found found the co-founder right. that I was looking for. And then basically we uh, we said like he was committed to move, and I was looking to move. And basically just time it worked out. I was like, let's just pull the plug. Let's give it a shot. Let's flush it out. Hmm. Otherwise, had the pedigree to basically find yeah. a job. Uh, and you that. guys had the clarity about what you wanted to start, or you wanted more clarity about start karna, karna ke baad So basically, uh, uh, Prashant was working at McKinsey at that point of time, and he was part of the healthcare practice. I had mostly worked in tech and even in financial services, mostly focused on tech companies. So basically, we just decided we'll do something in health and tech. Okay. That was about it. 
and typically like a consulting or a banking the paper was absolutely on the, uh, the the plan was absolutely on the paper and you know we'll do this 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 this, this so many things and we had no <laughs> no resources right. we were just putting our own <laughs> savings onto yeah. it right so basically plan was on paper uh, but we knew that we'll do something in health and tech mm-hmm. and uh, we started with a model which was basically creating a software platform for for physicians mm-hmm. and eventually we wanted to plug in online pharmacy so right. So that is how we started, and it kind of morphed. Uh, so you had a you know uh, you know banking business school background, so it, you know Prashant. Did you guys have reasonable understanding of you know time and how big this can be, or so on, or uh, you just it was more of a idea that you guys liked? So uh, obviously everything was on paper. Uh, even in banks, we used to basically write these. Uh, so I was part of some of these IPO processes yeah. where you do these mm-hmm. S one drafting. So you talk about this time and all this, but this is such a top-down approach, uh, which in my view is actually irrelevant for yeah. a lot of startups because ultimately it comes down to bottom-up approach in terms of how many customers will use your right. product and all that. So we had this uh, nice because we had done business plans in mm. business school also, so there was no challenge on right. defining that time, mm. and you could make up, you know, uh, position the idea because we always knew that look, health and tech at a high level. Mm. will become big and was always yeah. big mm-hmm. but if you wanted to take a uh, you know online view of things yeah. it could be small but eventually the problem mm-hmm. was in general big so that was the so you were convinced the market size because the reason i'm asking is i mean even today i think you know building a software platform for doctors i think market is still very very tiny yeah. right so was it like you know was your analysis like way off the mark yeah So I would say it was theoretical mm-hmm. uh, because, look, frankly speaking, when we moved back and you would have uh, known the same thing in 2009, there were no smartphones. Right. There was no internet adoption. So I, I I'll tell you the story. So uh, so we started this, and we were down the trenches, living in US. We were like, you know, flying business class and all this, like completely ground pay. तुम बड़ी की चाय पी रहे हो बिल्कुल डॉक्टर के कैबिन में जा के बैठ रहे हो, right? तुम बिल्कुल उधर चले गए. So basically, there was no smartphones. There was no computer usage even. So basically, we have convinced the doctor to use this. So first, you sit in the doctor's cabin. There are people coming and going. So you are looking at them. How is he working? Basically, we have convinced the doctor to use this. He told us that you should take a laptop and give it to him. So we bought a whole laptop and gave it to him. So we have used it. Then what happened? ये डॉक्टर बिल्कुल मतलब बिजी पार्ट ऑफ डेली में था इनकी प्रैक्टिस और हम दूर रहते तो वो बिल्कुल एकदम से फोन आता था अरे यार लैपटॉप चिंग चल नहीं रहा तो मेनली हम वहाँ पे एक घंटा ड्राइव करके उधर जाते थे बोलते बताओ यार क्या हुआ तो कभी कोई इसका नेटवर्क कभी इंटरनेट नहीं चल रहा वो नहीं चल रहा तो वी तो बेसिकली दैट वॉज अ टाइम देर वॉज नो स्मार्ट फोन यूसेज देर वॉज नो रियल एडोप्शन ऑफ इंटरनेट एट दैट पॉइंट ऑफ टाइम So while our plan was on paper, but the reality was the curve was still Correct. the critical mass was just not there. So basically, there was a disconnect in terms of how we were thinking and what was the ground reality. <laughs> This reminds me of a similar story. I think 2007, 8. Uh, so we were trying to raise money, etc., for Mintra, and uh, you know, go to a lot of these wealthy individuals. I'm not going to name <laughs> this person, but uh, we met one such person. एंड वी एक्सप्लेन कि सर हम ऐसे ऑनलाइन पर बेचेंगे लोग वेबसाइट पर आएंगे कार्ट में ऐड करके ऑर्डर कर देंगे फिर उसे घर पर सामान पहुँच जाएगा तो उन्होंने पूछा कि पेमेंट कैसे होगी पेमेंट क्रेडिट कार्ड के थ्रू होगी तो ये पोल्डर यू नो थी पोल्डर ही आर ए डेस्क टॉप एंड ये पोल्डर इज क्रेडिट कार्ड कि ये कंप्यूटर में कहाँ पर डालोगे क्रेडिट कार्ड 
पेमेंट करने के लिए बट ही डिड गिव अस मनी जैसे The, from, we got out of our comfort mm-hmm. zone we were practically working out of uh, you know my friend's friend's place a dining table pe teen log baithe hue hain aur fir koi delivery bhi kar raha hai to main gaadi pe ja ke khud hi deliver kar raha tha so basically it was like down the trenches mm-hmm. but uh, uh, obviously the business was not going anywhere mm-hmm. uh, and we had spent almost a year year and half i trading through this uh, and thoda side mein fir consulting bhi karna chalu kar diya ki yaar thoda sa cash reserve bhi kam ho gaye the So, but the uh, one thing that really worked for us is both of us were super committed. Mm. We never looked for any other opportunities. There was mm. a lot of temptation, mm. right? Ki yar, uh, and look, everyone was wondering, "Ki ho kya raha hai?" At the time, US mein rahe aa rahe hain, achhi business school pe ja chuke hain. In fact, uh, 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 one of my uh, 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 family members uh, thought, "Ki nobody was able to gather, ki yar, ye achha kaasa bank bank mein kaam kiya, yahan pe kiu aake kya kar raha hai?" तो किसी ने बोला कि किसी को लगा कि मैं इन्वेस्टमेंट बैंक करता था किसी ने बोला कि समबडी रियली ट्रूली अ वेलविशर सेट कि यार एक बैंक ऑफ बड़ौदा में किया है इसको देख लो कि मैंने बोला नहीं अभी मैं नहीं देखूंगा थोड़े टाइम बाद देख लेंगे तो तो बेसिकली द गुड थिंग इज वी नेवर लुक फॉर एनी अपॉर्चुनिटीज एंड वी वर कमिटेड टू आई ट्रेडिंग एंड फाइंडिंग समथिंग राइट एंड लुक बेसिकली एक डेढ़ साल हो गया था एंड आई वॉज ऑलवेज एक्साइटेड अबाउट द नेक्स्ट न्यू थिंग राइट कभी दिवाली मेले में जाके हम कुछ वो लगा रहे हैं बिगर पिक्चर बट वी वमिटेड आई ट्रेडिंग एंड आई डिस्टिंगली रिमेंबर ऑलमोस्ट सवा साल हो चुका था एंड पहले बिजनेस स्कूल के जो फ्रेंड्स थे बोलते अरे यार तू सही कर रहा है दिस इज द ड्रीम कम ट्रू ऑटरप्रनरशिप कर रहा है बट वेरी क्विकली यू रियलाइज की एक साल में लोग वेकेशन पे घूम रहे हैं यहाँ पे और जो तुम्हारा ड्रीम कम ट्रू है वो बेसिकली तुम्हारा प्रोफेशन है आपको उसमें सक्सीड होना ही है तो उसने किसी एक बहुत ही अच्छा दोस्त है उसने मुझे बताया था यार कि आई वाज अगेन एक्साइटेड कि यार मैं मैंने ये करना तू सोच ले एक बार कि अब एक डेढ़ साल हो गया एंड यू शुड रियली गेज प्रॉपरली कहीं जा रहा है कहीं जा रहा है तो फिर उसके बाद बेसिकली फॉर्चुनेटलीट और एक बार आपके पास सीड कैपिटल आ जाए तो आपकी ऑब्लिगेशन मिल जाती है उसको कैपिटल वापस कर दिए तो बेसिकली दैट कैपिटल गोइंग ऑन तो बेसिकली इट वाज लाइक लिटिल बिट ऑफ अ जर्नी टू गेट टू सो स्टार्ट द कंपनी बिफोर यू गाइस अराइव्ड एट यू नो द इवेंचुअल मॉडल ऑफ 1MG व्हिच इज यू नो सेलिंग मेडिसिंस ऑनलाइन या फ्रॉम डे 1 टिल हाउ हाउ मेनी इयर्स डिड इट टेक फॉर यू गाइस टू अराइव एट दैट पॉइंट सो बेसिकली वी केम इन वी स्टार्टेड वी मूव टू इंडिया नवंबर ऑफ 2009 सो वन एंड हाफ इयर्स टू बेसिकली सिंप्लीफाई द मॉडल एंड इनकॉर्पोरेट हेल्थ कार्ड एज अ ऑनलाइन फार्मेसी मॉडल राइट 
and uh, uh, and then basically because of regulations we could not do medicines right. to begin mm -hmm. with. So we thought we will build the brand, and mm -hmm. at some point we will add the medicines right. to this. So we added all the other categories uh, mm -hmm. that are typically chemistry right. related. So baby care products, okay. so, you know, all the FMCG products right. and all that, uh, including nutrition. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started selling online, right. and uh, we thought we'll just come to medicine at some point. So it's about 18 to 24 month journey of tinkering with a lot of things, trying various things, which is very typical. That's the other thing. I think you know a lot of people wait for super clarity. But look, you can you have to start and you have to learn. Yeah. But you have to pick that area which is which you're passionate about. Otherwise, wo bina iteration ki just there's no magical moment ki I right. a bunch of I think what's coffee information asymmetry with when you are working some full time, then maybe in the evening, weekend you're reading something, talking to some people, calling a two or three experts. Versus when you're doing full time, then you're 24 by 7, you are thinking about it, you know, meeting a lot of people, spending time on the ground. Yeah. So you cannot take a decision which requires that information and immersion yeah. with just, you know, doing armchair, you know, thinking yeah. about that. So I think that's a little counterintuitive, but I also agree. I think once people have their runway and, you know, and general idea about the, let's say in your case of the health and tech. Yeah. Then no, we would have to jump in, yeah, and then figure things out while you're in that, right? And you've seen so many examples. Look, look at any company, and no company is looks like the original idea. Yeah, and the I think the magic of the entrepreneur or the team is to basically navigate to like more yeah. sort of uh, viable parts of the business right. in that industry. But typically, you just learn yeah. and iterate. I think so. A little bit, you know, what you're saying is a lot of people think. Then we start, we will see in 12 to 18 months, if work out, then okay, not will go back to job. That's almost guaranteed to fail. Yeah. You have to almost start, now we start, in 12 to 18 months, we will figure out what we are going to do. And then the journey will really start. I mean, and that is in a good case scenario. In winter, we were doing all kinds of random things. Selling personalized, personalized products online, B2B gifting, offline queues. Yeah. Kare kare no, I visited your office and uh, seen the journey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you were saying, you know, the whole office are littered with those personalized <laughs> yeah. India jerseys and all that. Right. Yeah, so we tried everything, but to finally arrive at a category yeah. which finally could take off. I think that's right. other even. And that, that is the big trick while we can say ki you take a runway of two years yeah. but that very very hard to get out of the problem because there's always this next month where you right. can try something but but the real iteration only happens once you commit to it. Right. Otherwise there's no magical. Right. <laughs> so you know 1MG so once you guys you know start selling a thing so you're saying first you started with the other adjacent categories which didn't require licensing. Yeah. I'm guessing eventually you guys got the licenses. Was there a point at 1MG when, you know, the phase is like slow phase, at some point you saw the, you know, trajectory shift and things started to take off because eventually obviously, you know, 1MG became one of the largest online pharmacy in India. Yeah. So how did that, you know, first few years pan out? So basically, look, we started in 2011 and 11 to 14 uh, was basically constantly bending this model. And I typically call e-commerce companies in those days and even today, uh, SUVs. <laughs> Okay. They require a lot of fuel, yeah, <laughs> yes, and they have to keep running. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, look, the business model was still evolving, and it required a lot of fuel to sort of get mm. to the hump overall. So we kept raising capital. Uh, the model was sort of sharpening, uh, but 2015 is where the big sort of restructuring of Pivot happened for us, where we spun out the pharmacy business into 1MG and Prashant moved there to run that full time. Oh, so till that you were running as a health card as a brand? Yeah, yeah. Okay. so there was only health card mm -hmm. until 2014 
and uh, late 2014 is where we basically restructured the company right. where we uh, spun out the pharmacy business sure. so what had happened is basically there were two sort of exciting opportunities which were sort of going and required very very different capital allocation yeah. so we had launched an app it used to be called healthcart plus yeah. and uh, this was to drive engagement with customers right. and we had created transparency in terms yeah. of drug pricing and all that that became viral by itself right. and we got inspired that maybe you can take a fresh look at the mm-hmm. pharmacy problem using right. mobile as a centerpiece of the business model uh and but it required significant capital to go over the uh get over the business model and that became one inch right and at that point 70% of our business was nutrition so we had frankly speaking gotten accidental product market fit on nutrition because younger populations was coming online and uh, in sports nutrition there were a lot of counterfeiting uh, and there was no uh, no retail opportunity for people to go and buy these authentic products so uh, some of people started to relate to health card to basically buy these products um, uh, and we used to import a lot of these products from right. the us so uh, 70% of our business was nutrition but at that point we were facing more intense competition from amazon hmm. and we had launched a private label in the form of uh, muscle base right and we could see that we can make a nice profitable business here uh, so that's why basically we restructured the company and one mg prashant moved to one mg ran that full time uh, along with gorup and uh, i continued to focus on understood and during that phase 2010 to 15 let's little bit talk to in more detail about one is just just founder dynamics Because you know, I think founder dynamics in any early stage company is not easy. I think yeah. you know I've gone through my own you know challenges around that. Because ultimately, even two or three really well-meaning, highly competent people, yeah. they're independent, opinionated people, and so on. <laughs> so how is it like? You know, did it take effort? You know, what was your method of navigating? You know, those. Yeah. So look, I have thought about this topic a lot, and I have seen the journey with Prashant as two co-founders. and now as a single founder for last 7 8 years and uh i think there is no magical formula to be honest uh, so what happens when you are a single founder your speed of execution clearly increases mm. because then obviously you just uh, do what you're convinced about as two co-founders your speed would be slower but your decisions would be a lot more well thought out mm. uh i certainly feel that more than two founders is can no, come a challenge no. so i think two is the right optimal number now in terms of uh, uh two co-founders as far as there's an appreciation for the strengths of each co-founder mm-hmm. uh then basically things work out well so frankly speaking uh, you know uh, and prashant is one of the very close friends now for so many years and i really believe that uh, him and me are very two different approaches to business and we bring two different things to the table as far as you can appreciate that and you can work together then you can basically uh, uh, you know work like that but there's no you know co-founder everyone will say that it's like a marriage right uh, and until this you get into the marriage you will not know how 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 the other person works but frankly speaking it's about uh, uh, having a egoless relationship uh look because uh, you know who does what and who does not do uh, what can become a ego tussle number one uh so a egoless and because we have they have to realize that ultimately they are going towards the same goal and second realizing what the other person is naturally good at and appreciating that and kind of 
that is the magic in right i other other part is also it takes lot of effort i think you know when people are selecting their co-founders it needs to be very thoughtful deliberate decision it cannot be you know impromptu thing right because if you then you'll discover lot of things about other person you may not know you know chemistry issues uh your problem solving approach you know your very analytical or very intuition driven and so on bunch of things and second thing even with that it will take lot of effort you know for somebody to become a good co-founding team is not going to happen easily you know without lot of absolutely look basically look for example we may be great friends right because look friendship you're not working together exactly that doesn't mean that you are right. great co-workers also yeah, correct, correct correct so uh, it's an iterative process uh, you know frankly speaking i feel that uh, if you go back to college days mm. your closest friends are your you know iit wing mates right. and all that i think that is where people have no ego issues right uh, that is the great time to sort of start something right. together yeah. but after that basically uh, I, i to be honest i don't know what is the right co-founder selection mm. process it is just that i think until this you are able to appreciate what the other person brings to the table uh, i don't think the relationship will say so when it works it brings a lot of force multiplication like yeah. people are able to challenge each other bring some redundancy also your fallback plan you know as a single co-founder there is too much ownership on you so i think that all those are great things but then if there's friction starts to come in yeah. and you try you know you start to slow each other down so yeah. that's i think it's a important consideration that people need to just pay a lot of attention to it's Absolutely. just not going to work Absolutely. you know on its own and definitely uh, co-founders are primarily co-worker relationship and not a friends relationship mm-hmm. so i think and finding potential co-founders for people you already work with is probably a better chance because you know like how does this person perform in a work situation right stressful situation and so on right so versus co-founding with a friend can you know backfire yeah. very easily because you you'll be surprised over with you know no idea how this person So basically even look i've seen both sides if given a choice again i would certainly like to work with a co-founder right right uh because i think uh, uh, you know everyone talks about it but i i think about entrepreneurship as a three level triangle hmm. uh you have your family uh you have your team yeah and then you have your investors right and i really believe that this has to <laughs> go into a virtuous cycle yeah uh it cannot spiral into a you know in the wrong way right and that is why to keep this in the virtuous cycle mm. uh, you will obviously go through you know significant ups and downs right. and co-founder is the only person that you can share that right. uh, with right. so basically otherwise it takes too much of load right. on you <laughs> so yeah. during those five years were there any particular low moments where you felt like what am i doing are you oh, absolutely this so anything that you still remember uh so uh, there are small and big moments <laughs> so uh, uh, so basically look the thing is in e-commerce you had to raise capital yeah. right otherwise you can't you had to shut shop right mm-hmm. so basically there was a few times where we just ran out of cash mm-hmm. and uh, how I, how much out like your money to pay next month payroll or no so i'll tell you uh, uh, i typically don't get stressed generally right but there was this time <laughs> where i had to literally uh, we were going to run out of cash literally in i would say 15 days to a month hmm. and we were talking to a lot of investors there was always a hope because right. as a entrepreneur yeah. optimist and uh, and somehow at the last moment uh, uh, the investor commitment did not come through hmm. so we were literally you know you were like running towards a hill and it's going to <laughs> you know fall 
uh, and I and and cash uh, cash was super crunched mm-hmm. because we also used to sell. So there was a, a working capital Correct. issue and all that. Yeah. So literally, this is uh, almost like that Christmas New Year time, and I had to spend every day in the morning planning for how much discount I will run on each product, mm. which will drive how much cash mm. and how do I stretch every single day. Mm. And I had to do it in a closed group because you can't also give this. Was this 2013? Uh, 14. 14, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but I remember like this was like the container was coming and I had to plan uh, this yeah. commitment. And I literally had to plan every single day how much money I'm going to squeeze. And how did you guys come out of it? Magically, everything works. So, for me, we raised the yeah. money. But yeah. uh, there was no... Uh, so, there, there were things like that. So, everyone, I'm sure, right. like, you have mm. gone through it. And uh, that is where, basically, uh, I think co-founder definitely helps in those moments. Right. Uh, and, uh, and basically, there were several other moments. Wait, uh, the reason I say 2013, 2013 was particularly bad year in India. Like, you just all have day stop, no one investing. So, we had an mentor with a similar near that experience, you know, literally cash runway of less than 10 days and all of that. And so, yeah, it was <laughs> that's a very harrowing experience here, yeah, literally. So that's why, look, basically, I am generally more uh, conservative about cash. Mm-hmm. So so people don't understand it now. Uh, uh, you know, investors are looking at it, do you have enough cash and all that? But I'm very, very particular about cash because, look, uh, cash is oxygen for you. And uh, in our kind of a company, because look, generally now the business is a lot more stable and uh, profitable and all this. But basically, I'm very, very particular about definitely not running out of cash. So 2015, uh, you guys decide to basically split uh, organization into two. One MG to pursue online uh, pharmacy and you were going to focus on health card to build. At that time, the... Uh, it was to build supplements business or what does a different thesis? Yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, uh, the whole idea was we realized that uh, there was heavy competition coming right. from horizontals. And as a vertical mar- vertical marketplace, yeah. uh, uh, we just did not stand any chance. Right. So the idea was to build, consume, reorient the company mm. rather than focusing on e-commerce yeah. or distribution business. Mm kind of built consumer brands yeah. and we had a private label in the form of muscle base. Mm. So the idea was we wanted to create uh, 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 consumer brands business in nutrition sure. starting with muscle base. Right. Right. Got it, got it. And how did you, like you guys at that time uh, raise capital separately for both entities? Yeah. Like how did the structuring of 1MG and healthcare separate company happen? So basically uh, we had raised a round of capital and we basically split it, okay. uh, uh, you know, uh, so so demerged kind of. Uh, demerged, uh, demerged, and uh, some capital went to one MG, and basically some capital stayed at right. cut. And basically, the, these became two independent companies mm. uh, after that, and it was just like uh, you know, just going. So this feel pretty good in retrospect. I mean, both companies have done extremely well. We would have vanished if we would have not uh, taken that decision in hindsight. Absolutely. And that insight of taking a decision, you know, how did that happen? You know, was it? Clear at the time that it's the right thing to do? So, uh, in hindsight, I can tell you now that if the capital uh, requirement of even within the same company is very different for different types mm. of uh, businesses or business lines, it is very hard to kind of put them all together. So, it was the right decision to take. The way it happened 
was uh, not planned mm. uh, because you know we were raising capital and we were getting very different signals for the investors some investors were interested in this business some investors were excited about this other business right. so it kind of uh, uh, became uh, uh, you know apparent that we had to do this uh, 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 but basically in hindsight my learning is basically as a company you have to have some uh, uniformity in terms of mm. how you think about capital allocation right. because what will happen is like one department which is generating cash right. the other department which is like looking for long right. term there will always be this stuff right. that we <laughs> and so after you guys demerge and then i think you know 2014 15 is when kind of e-commerce hit its you know sweet spot it just starts to take off in a big way yeah. and 1mg also benefited you know medicine turned out to be a, this you know way it's a very large category tam is massive compared yeah. to nutrition over you know, tam is very very small yeah. and as a result you know 1mg eventually you know uh, achieved significant scale eventually got acquired by tardas etc how was it to watch it you know i'll come to health card but watch you know mg 1mg grow so rapidly and just watching it from sidelines you know obviously you're a shareholder you feel good from that point of view but also having to watch it from distance now so basically look i realize that uh, and this is just generally my personality i i typically don't seek any validation nor do i want to do certain things where i am not comfortable with so uh, you know 1mg i think only prashant could have run i i would not have been able to run 1mg because it went through significant ups and downs the whole market was very chaotic like regulations were still getting uh, kind of formed and all that so basically the re- resilience and ambiguity handling that uh, was required i think prashant is right fit for that <laughs> no, no absolutely so, is outstanding you know i also got an opportunity to work closely with him you know during my tired digital stint so i can see you know he is he can manage all kind of stakeholders and able to communicate right, right, and right. deal with you know so and that is his natural sort of strength right. and i uh, sometimes think that while we have operated in vc space yes. i'm i have much more like profitability and this private equity mindset right. so i was uh, happy doing yeah. what i was doing right. and i was very happy that i also shareholder in some company right. basically yeah. hit a six yeah. so so uh, so and then basically look uh, always used to exchange notes and but i i think the crazy ride that varun ji had was an uh, interesting anecdote i'm pretty sure so you know it and so during my tar digital days i actually got to be on one mg board for a period of time yeah. i was like quite crazy the company that you started you know and eventually you were not actively involved in operating capacity and you know as able to kind of see you know at least understand a little bit about the company you know from uh front lines you know it was did so i'm really proud of what the, these guys had built and uh, uh, and i think really the market took off and all that so basically it's a very very strong consumer brand right. that will like really proud yeah now i'm just doing well i think you know especially last one year i think things have even gotten better for them i think you know scale is there there is you know steady path to profitability is there yeah. and really no strong competition i think uh, i think yeah the, the, and also it's you no know, pretty good hand with with uh, tata so they can think very long term now yeah. yeah i think things are going going really well so now coming to health card right so i think from again from distance what i can recall samir is from 2015 to 2020 you kind of build the business very patiently yeah. you know it says i think you almost kind of you know you and health card little bit disappeared you know from the public view not very little conversation about health card but steadily you you know um, decided to build muscle base you said private label but eventually muscle base actually build you know became a brand and we will later we'll talk about difference between you know brand and private yeah. label right but uh, 
what was like were you clear at the time that you know you want to try to build a like really genuine authentic product that the fitness goers will like and become their preferred choice right right so basically as i mentioned uh, we in healthcut we were very clear that because we can't survive as a retailer mm. we had to build consumer brands yeah. and by you know uh, this whole topic of brand versus private label is very very close to my heart and to be honest i am a very different person uh from compared to 11 to 15 versus what i have learned from yeah. uh, from this second right. phase of yeah. health card journey right so i deeply think about brands and mm. differentiation on that so basically the whole idea was like we had to make a profitable business and profitability will come from building consumer brands yeah and consumer brands will require a very different way of thinking mm. it's not about like you know uh, distributing the brands it's about fundamentally solving a problem for a customer yeah it's the product that people will have to like mm. it's not about the distribution journey right. anymore so uh, that is the journey we uh, took uh, uh, took in 2015 and first challenge was to reorient the organization mm. right because you know uh, you're living in this whole tech world yeah. and everyone's like doing cool tech stuff mm. but then basically we had to develop this whole product thinking capabilities yeah. so there was a sports nutrition there was a vitamin and then there was a weight loss mm. so we were like uh, let's just kind of build two three brands here and then uh, they will have a faster adoption online we will try to sell them online using health card platform right. and eventually to grow yeah so we started with these three spaces uh, muscle base uh, became the front runner where we had a lot of learnings in terms of sort of building the community building mm. a differentiated product and all that and then other brand spaces have gone through a lot of iteration but eventually they have arrived Got it. So since you said in this topic of you know brands versus labels is very close to your heart, yeah. I mean you know in our you know Mintra journey we also tried to build bunch of in-house labels. I don't know some are maybe brands, some are labels. You know, but um, what is it? How will you describe? You know, what is the fundamental difference between brand and label? So now I feel everything is a brand. Right. So Bukesh, you are a brand. Hmm. I am a brand. Maybe uh, Abhishek is a brand. So fundamentally, what is what are the two three things that primarily you stand for yeah. right that defines the brand mm. and when i say brand you consistently deliver on what your promise is right so look maybe when people think about mukesh they will think at a strong entrepreneur problem solver uh, maybe somebody will be like a diligent worker mm. so basically you build these brand choices mm. so whether you like it or not like it mm. your brand will be formed right question is you have to take control mm. of what is the direction that you want to shape it so slightly philosophical there sure. but ultimately uh, from a consumer brand perspective i believe that people don't think about differentiation enough mm. so i think about this as a three level funnel mm. so there are a lot of needs that keep arising in yeah. the market then there would be solutions which have to cater to these needs in the solution certain businesses will say i will over index on this solution yeah or i will cater to this consumer segment and some other businesses will take a different approach yeah and what you decide to do and what you decide not to do mm. is ultimately the brand choices that you make right so even for example while people don't think about let's say flipkart mm. or amazon amazon as two different brands mm. but fundamentally there's a differentiation yeah. there are certain people who will get over indexed maybe right. certain category of users or certain people yeah. and those are the subtleties that you have to think right. about mm. and i'm going to be very honest from 11 to 
I had no idea. Hmm. Every revenue was similar to me, hmm. and it was just like, yeah, it's the PNL, <laughs> and you're not thinking about these things. Hmm. So, but once you get into this consumer business, I actually deeply care about differentiation, hmm. and then deciding that this is what we will stand for, hmm. and put all our energies right. on what you stand for, yeah. and let go of things that you can't win, hmm. uh, and that. To me, is sort of the brand building journey. So you're saying you need to be super clear about what you stand for, very consistent in every single you know stance, and that needs to be differentiated. And I'm guess what I'm going to say: if it is not differentiated, then it's a label. It may still stand for something. It's still consistent, but sure. because it's not differentiated, it's a label. No, because label the fundamental thesis is because you had some other structural advantage yeah. distribution. You're making that product available, but you're not. Actually, going into the consumer need to be able right. to do any differentiation. So right. you don't need differentiation because your channel of distribution itself is a differentiation. So, so you have some other related advantage, which is has no direct benefit. For example, Mintra you know, yeah. has a huge amount of traffic, so that's yeah. the advantage. Right. So whatever you put there is going to sell. And now, if that you know, now you can choose to build something which is highly differentiated, which is a slow, long, patient game. Yeah. Or you can just put something, put a literally a label on it. Yeah. You know, source it cheaply, and you don't really need to spend any money on marketing, etc. Right. So your margin still could be pretty healthy. That's right. That's right. So to me, I think this uh, uh, going deeper into consumer insights, yeah. because look, ultimately, when you build these physical products right. or any brand, you you don't have a consultative selling yeah. model. You can't communicate Correct. the yeah. difference. So basically, the product mm. has to deliver yeah. what you have been generally been communicating right. and. Over time, let's say you keep doing it year on year, right. that compounding of trust goes in, and basically brand becomes a strong pull right. brand. It just eases out the decision making of a consumer. So, and in, yeah, in your mind, how long was the journey of you know where you think Muscle Blaze went from maybe you know a private label of health card to a brand in its own right? So I think I would break it down into two, three phases. So basically, look, it was a private label to begin with. In 2015, we started to invest in R&D. Mm. Uh, R&D came slightly later, but basically go deeper into what products are we selling, mm. right? And what is it? Where? How do we source the quality yeah. uh, uh, of protein mm. and this and that? And then what is it that people are looking for? How are we solving that? So that phase itself took one to two years. Yeah, uh, that was the first phase of transition. Mm. That basically, look, Muscle Base is now providing good, genuinely yeah. good products and all that. And second, basically, we uh second phase was the communication or marketing mm. phase in terms of communicating to customers that this is what we stand for right so that is where i think when we did the first campaign and it's a pretty amazing campaign and i keep looking back at this campaign when i need to pump up yeah. <laughs> so there's a tum nahi samjhoge campaign that mm. we did and it did wonders for uh, uh, for the brand where people uh, you know be people did not uh, so there was no indian brand which was mm -hmm. basically motivating people right. to sort of work out and we came with this insight that mm -hmm. this whole uh, fitness journey is quite lonely mm -hmm. and underappreciated right and we did this campaign to capture that emotion mm -hmm. and then muscle base got tied to that yeah. so that became sort of the second phase of mm -hmm. brand building and finally uh, the third phase came in where we actually went very deep into R&D mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we have a patented technology which actually solves for absorption problem of right. protein and that became like a large part of muscle base. So right. I, did, I think it has gone through three right. phases, one yeah. basic product development, second communication and third 
going deeper into the got it so like you know doing all those fundamentals over probably 4 or 5 year period so when you started in muscle base as a private label at that time i think the high quality whey protein in india was all imported and the lot of this you know counterfeits or less quality control and today fast forward you know 7 8 years muscle blaze is the is by far the largest uh, whey protein brand in india it's, it's, it is made in india or made in india is so cool now but you know this is uh, made in india people have been you know millions of people consume it's available everywhere then distribution across online offline it reaches you know far and wide it's really trusted brand yeah so must feel pretty good right to be able to create this brand really from scratch and which also which is just not a label uh, but really truly stand for something as a clear differentiation no no absolutely i you know definitely proud uh, really proud of what we've done and i think this whole uh, uh, you know if you look at this industry a lot of the products which were used were coming from um, you know imports mm. so for us to be able to create our own product where we have a patented technology where people our product is better rated than some of these foreign uh, foreign mm. uh, imported products really makes us proud of it and uh, it's a true sort of uh, you know really proud of basically we've created differentiation gone deep right and we are excited uh, that we are also want to introduce this product range uh, to outside india and we want to take this to internationally excellent and what do you think is today is there enough you know where are we in terms of just um, penetration of uh, or awareness of uh, whey protein as a like significant macro supplement you know most readily available supplement in like, where are we on that awareness journey in india so i think look mukesh you are in this business so you would know the whole journey starts from people working out yeah. right and uh, of that funnel there are certain people who are seriously sort of working out and there are certain people who are casually working out right. and people will adopt uh, these uh, uh, additional supplements to sub, uh, to support their journey at different stages so i think whey protein awareness is increasing and also like if i look back so i think two things that i've seen change in the last 10 years so earlier on there was a huge misconception of this something funky about mm-hmm. this product so i am not going this product only for bodybuilders you know. yeah bodybuilders and uh, because look i think a uh, little bit of uh, uh, imagery about people using banned substances mm-hmm. as kind of uh, yeah. you know people extrapolate that this is yeah. not for me uh, that has changed uh, number mm-hmm. one so clearly acceptance of protein in general is there and second i think also uh, what we are also seeing is like especially uh, especially women consumers gradually adopting these supplements mm-hmm. because earlier it was like yaar mujhe to muscle nahi banana hai right but basically when you see people want to be fit and all this so this is becoming like very very right. mainstream so i think in terms of penetration levels i think there's a reasonable right. amount of awareness uh and the whole hitch of this is right or wrong yeah. is going away but still having said that like counterfeiting still exists in right. india and uh, uh, there are people who kind of take advantage of the fact that this is an expensive product so basically what gradually people are getting but in overall i mean you guys are in an outstanding position you have nearly 30% market share of this category category itself is going you know growing 20% annually i think we are still at a very low level of you know penetration when it comes to supplement or gyms for that matter for but you know next 10 20 years it just keep growing there is just yeah. no other place to go but to keep growing up and as a you know somebody who is already category leader massive growth runway ahead of you absolutely so basically look sports nutrition market is uh, roughly 6 7 billion in the us yeah. that number is like 400 million in india mm. right and this number was like not even 100 million like right. maybe 5 7 years ago in india 
if you take a 10 year view yeah. you just can't go wrong right right uh, uh, the only thing that you have to care about is have you gotten to a scale yeah. where you can basically sustain yourself profitably right. and after that basically maybe there are certain years where you will see massive growth certain years uh, slightly lower growth mm-hmm. but ultimately if you keep working at it you will keep compounding so i have no doubt that uh, this industry is going to explode and same thing for the gyms no same yeah no, we are very excited i think uh, the fitness culture is obviously growing a lot of people are becoming aware that how critical fitness is for overall well being you know the biggest how many gym members are there in india so Few total the numbers that i am aware of there are about uh, 5 million paid gym uh, members on an annual basis okay. people who will pay for gym and there are 5 million will work out in their apartment gyms or corporate gym and additional 10 12 million people who are active active mean you they will go for a jog run okay. cycling etc some kind of so about 20 million people total okay. you know out of a country of uh, you know 1.4 billion <laughs> so even with these number it puts the overall you know activity levels at about um, you know less than 2% okay while in west you know, this number will be more than 20% more than 20 so i think but that's a great news you know there is a 10 year um, 10x headroom for growth available and it's absolutely inevitable and i think things are only accelerating i think so it should definitely benefit you know definitely cult and health cult but anybody else also yeah. who is in the fitness industry no absolutely i think um, we feel very very fortunate that uh, work in an industry which is taking off yeah. and uh, maybe it's very hard to say that did you start early or later but you are at a point where you can basically have the full foundation full r&d engine to be able to produce like good products and all that and it's just going to come from amazing i think i have no doubt musclebase will be definitely a household name go to you know go to brand for uh, whey protein requirements in india but eventually i'm sure you will figure out a way to also sell it internationally so samir while we are talking about this whole brand building journey yesterday i think you were sharing with me you know your whole approach and thought process about really getting to know your customer and for you asked a very simple question which actually very complicated Can you describe precisely, you know, who is your customer? Yeah. Just can you talk more about your process? Like, how do you approach that? How do you develop that? You know, very, very accurate, precise understanding of customers. So, in no way, any uh, we claim that we have uh, that kind of understanding, but we we make an effort towards that. So, look, basically, uh, as I was sharing uh, yesterday, uh, you go through this journey of kind of figuring out, uh, you know, uh, you have to sell a product. Yeah. and the product is going to be selling unassisted with some marketing communication mm-hmm. but you have like this 30 seconds or 60 seconds to talk about why you're different right mm-hmm. so you you really have to kind of really understand whom you are targeting and what is the problem that you're solving so uh, so basically the point that we were discussing yesterday uh, we care a lot about like basically who is your customer mm-hmm. and uh, there are a lot of biases that get built So, for example, you know, uh, you go to cult, or maybe I go to this fancy gym, and then you think that the whole India story is about these people yeah. because obviously you are able to relate to your lifestyle and all that. But the reality is, uh, you know, people who are consuming because India is such a diverse and large country, the segments could be very different. And what happens is, until this, you are able to bring the core stakeholders in the company together. and have a common understanding of who this customer is and real good appreciation of you know how does that customer look yeah. like uh, you may be building something for something different mm. while it may be accidentally be used by other people but then your decision making framework would be different so uh, i'll just re narrate the story that i was talking mm. yesterday 
So, uh, you know, we did this exercise, look, basically one year we devoted full year just to increase the NPS scores for muscle base. So we had transitioned from a private label uh, and then we were trying to go deep into the brand. And before you even progress, you're saying when you say one full year devoted to improve NPS, that was the most important metric. You said like sales is less important, profit is less important, yeah. NPS really matters. Yeah, yeah. That itself, I mean, I think, I don't know, 0.01% of the companies in India will actually, you know, especially in the digital world, will prioritize NPS, which is a proxy for customer experiencing. Sure. This is what matters us to the most. I think that itself is a great starting point. So to be honest, consumer companies, uh, uh, I think, in my view, you can't change the demand significantly yeah. for how the market is evolving until this you are in the category creation game, which yeah. is expensive. So uh, uh, what you can control is basically the product experience. And at some point you have to do that exercise. So we had this one year where basically... So I want to interrupt you again. Before progress story, can you also explain NPS? Because you know we oh. use it in our everyday parlance, but you know what is NPS? Very simple. How many customers of yours who use your product will basically actively promote your product without yeah. any assistance? Mm -hmm. That's the simple definition. There's a mathematical formula, but ultimately... What's the formula? Formula is like there's a promoter, there's a detractor, you subtract the promoter from detractor and you come up with this NPS score. Right. But ultimately, it is how many people will just say good things about your product overall. So, uh, uh, just to give you an example, the gold standard would be like Apple kind of companies will have a NPS score of like 70 or so. Most of the e-commerce companies in India will operate between 50 and 60, I guess, right? Overall, right. but basically, uh, uh, so we, we were struggling with this fact that we were getting this feedback about some people will say that your product is really cool, it tastes really well. And again, similar number of some people will say that your product is not good. So we were struggling with this fact that what do we do, like wh what is happening? And uh, uh, we, we basically, to solve this problem, we got together a cross-functional team where we had our R&D head, our brand team, myself, and maybe uh, some core people in the team. And we said, like, let's have a deeper understanding of why this is happening, mm -hmm. right? Why is the same product being rated very, very differently by, you know, mm -hmm. same group of people? So we didn't, uh, as a good thing is in D2C world, you have access to so much of data, so many consumers you can just talk to. And and this is such an involved category. Yeah. People are happy to give feedback. Mm -hmm. They're happy to do video calls. They're happy right. to invite you. To, uh, because you know the fitness journey is quite uh, you know involved and people yeah. are really deeply interested in that journey while they're going through this journey. So we used to do these video calls, and what we realized is, look, our perception was like this: uh, uh, this guy is going to this gym and like taking this shaker and kind of shit, you know, <laughs> taking this. Uh, but basically, we realized some people were actually consuming whey protein in this cup. And this was basically video call. And then we decided we took appointment with some people. And we were like, customer so we used to basically subah subah saturday morning ko hum ek gaadi pe jaate the aur fir hum appointment lete the jaise char panch appointment a din ke and we will just basically go yeah. so we were very very humbled with the fact that people are actually letting us hmm. you know uh, in their homes uh, so but then we realized jaise ek hum bande ghar gaye to wo kya hai bilkul hi jaise hota na paying guest kahi pe wo reh raha tha aur andar jaane ke liye hame gaadi bahar park karni padi to chal ke andar andar gali mein jana pada 
ओपन संकेतों में एक उधर गए तो बोला यार ये कौन कस्टमर है फिर उसने खोला फिर हमने बोला उसका रूम लिटरली आप समझ लो कि हंड्रेड हंड्रेड फिफ्टी स्क्वायर फीट का रूम उसी में एक कबर्ड है हमने बोला यार हमें देखना है कि आप कैसे शेक बना के पीते हो तो उसने कबर्ड खोली अंदर से एक वो शेकर निकाला और वहाँ पे पाउडर डाला बोलते ही बेसिकली वॉट आई ट्राइंग टू से आर विजुअल वॉज की ये लोग ऐसे जुमले जाते हैं ये जाते हैं बट द रियलिटी वॉज देर वॉज लॉट ऑफ स्टूडेंट्स लिविंग इन समाउंस एंड वेरी लिमिटेड मीन्स एंड दे वर यूजिंग आर प्रोडक्ट हैप्पी एंड इट जस्ट कम्प्लीटली चेंज द परसेप्शन सो दैट्स वाई बेसिकली यू नो देर लॉट ऑफ लर्निंग्स विच केम वॉट फॉर एग्जाम्पल वेरी सिंपल इंसाइट अमाउंट ऑफ वॉटर दैट यू पुट इन योर शेक विल कम्प्लीटली चेंज योर परसेप्शन ऑफ टेस्ट ऑफ अ शेक and we as a brand were not communicating how much exact water that you need to put in to get the right taste so very very simple uh, this one but more importantly what came about was like basically we do a very simple exercise where we just say ki yaar aapka brand hai theek hai to agar tum kisi se simple puchoge who is your customer to people will say mera ye bhi customer hai ye bhi customer hai ye bhi customer aise kar kar ke basically log sari ginti kara lenge correct but the real question is about prioritization mm-hmm. आपके 30-40 परसेंट सेगमेंट कौन सा है उसके अगला 20 कौन सा है तो इफ यू फोर्स प्रायोरिटाइज एंड आस्क पीपल टू ड्रॉ अ सिंपल पिक्चर कि यार ये ऐसा दिखता है करेक्ट दैट इट सेल्फ इज आई ओपनिंग तो तो बेसिकली कमिंग बैक टू दिस ये अल्टीमेटली रियलाइजेशन ऑफ हु योर कस्टमर इज एंड हुम आर यू ट्राइंग टू सॉल्व दिस प्रॉब्लम फॉर goes a long way in terms of what approach that you take right. to the brand no no i think this is a simple but very very powerful framework i think anyone who is starting to consume directly can do this exercise can pause this podcast right now and say who is your number one consumer segment which is very precisely defined so you can exactly define it this person has this age gender profession this is where the person lives this is what the person wears this is his or her income level is these are her uh, you know challenges in life yeah. motivations like very very accurate pictures you can actually visualize the person in the room with that the choice you will make about product features communication will be very different versus generic you know my customers are 28 to 30 you know other than customer right correct or look abhi jaise ek bahut bada challenge kya hota hai look ultimately look when you talk about consumer brands or any business it's about getting the right pricing yeah it's about getting the right differentiation to अगर आपने कस्टमर को डिफाइन नहीं कर रखा mm. और आपने जैसे इंडिया में भी तुम दो डिफरेंट इंडिया में क्या था एक प्राइस पॉइंट के बाद ऐसा mm. <laughs> नीचे मतलब आपने अगर प्राइस एक लेवल में बढ़ा दी तो एकदम से स्टीप ड्रॉप हो जाता है आपके एंड वी समटाइम्स डोंट डिफाइन द कस्टमर इन टू बी एबल टू से गुड़गांव के गोल्फ कोर्स में रहने वालों के लिए ब्रांड बना रहा हूँ या फिर मैं इंडिया के इमर्जिंग मिडिल क्लास के लिए जो बेसिकली आज यहाँ पे पहुंचेगा बना रहा हूँ ये सिंपल क्वेश्चन भी कई बार वी आर नॉट क्लियर एंड दैट इज वाई वी डोंट टेक द राइट प्राइसिंग डिसीजन एंड राइट बिकॉज फंडामेंटली वी आर नॉट क्लियर अबाउट हु योर प्राइमरी कस्टमर कल्ट कस्टमर एंड कस्टमर्स विच विल से कंप्लेन किया वेले पार्किंग क्यों नहीं है हमें मतलब एंड यू नो कम इन नाइस कार एक्सेप्ट्रा एंड समल नोटिस कि मैंने कस्टमर से बात करी और कस्टमर बोल रहा है कि वैले पार्किंग है तो बनाते हैं 
versus you know that may be one percent of customer base. Sure, sure. Like forty percent of customer base, you know, have very different problems. So I think having that clarity, otherwise you, know, you end up building randomly wrong features. Even if you look at classic FMCG companies, they have different brands to address different yeah. price points or different uh, needs yes, and all that. So, ultimately, it's the same thing. But the question is that when you're trying to build, then you get biased by your own views. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it is important to keep that yeah. perspective. Yeah, I think talking about the other thing I realized, you know, it's um, um, the just grasp on numbers. I think, you know, for what you're sharing with me, like you really have a pretty good both macro and micro understanding of the numbers across that, which allows you to see patterns and how things change over a period of time. Just talk a bit more about that. You know, how does that shape you in influencing things within the organization? So basically, look, uh, I I've just realized that if I look at my strengths, I think numbers is definitely mm. well one of my strengths. So I think if I look at my strengths, I think I have seen numbers in the past. So because I'm constantly building this thesis, right? Because as an entrepreneur, you're always right. trying to figure out that this model will go, this will go, this model will be a problem. So you're able to kind of always, uh, and data plays a big role in terms of supporting that thesis yeah. and arriving at a particular uh, hypothesis. So what I said was that I remember the number of two months ago. So someone told me that it was this, and you told me that it was So overall, data-oriented culture, but just a word on caution on that. I just felt, and this has come after 25 years of maturity, uh, we were all super analytical coming from IITs and all that. And we just feel that this number thing is like the thing. But I really believe that uh, sometimes it can also impair your decision making. Because uh, uh, you get so deep into the numbers that you lose the bigger picture. And it becomes almost like a tool for you to procrastinate and not take the hard decisions. So uh, as far as there's a right balance, it is great. It allows you to anchor everyone on the facts, but it should not create an impediment in terms of you taking the decisions which are not going to be solved in data. Haan, so there is, you know, but, haan, there is obviously a danger of analysis paralysis. I think the framework I use is, is first you have to absorb all the data. If some data exists and you that is inexcusable. Yeah. Like you should know. Then you are you know, deliberately you know, flying blind. But you're absolutely right because they hope, uh, even when people... Even structuring of data right. itself, uh, when you're trying to reach certain metrics, profitability, yeah. customer scores, and all these things, I think 90% of the time, at least once the organization becomes slightly bigger, aligning people and structuring the data itself is a huge value add. That's right. Correct. <laughs> so everyone should be oriented and first of all, like, if data can get data, then Like, you know, But at some point, data will also stop. Yes. There are points where you have to make a intuitive call and that's where I think is a you know, biggest leadership skill. Like I use this phrase that leadership starts when data stops. And data so anyone can take a decision or data At some point, you know, you don't know the answer. That's where making an informed bet and then aligning all your resources to make that bet work. It's almost like a lot of times, you know, you don't take the right decision. You take a decision, make the decision right through, you know, driving execution, right? And a lot of uh, but I think both part of the equation are uh, very valid, uh, quite valid. Like you're also talking about, you know, your approach to like, you know, your way of looking, you know, in startup world, people talk a lot about product market fit. product market fit What is your approach to that? You know, what, how do you define like, what is a really high quality product market fit? Yeah, uh, nobody can define when the product market fit happens. My definition in the brand world is very simple. If it gets to a scale, 
where it can generate a positive contribution margin for mm. me and not decline month on month. Right. That to me is a classic mm. definition right. of proof mm. is the pudding. Yeah. Give a product market fit. Yeah. So, other, for example, and it could be a micro category, mm. it could be this one, a macro or whatever. But ultimately, if you have collected enough number of consumers right. who value your value offering enough to be right. able to basically pay your premium, right. which covers your whatever cost yeah. of serving them, then you have achieved a product right. market fit. I use certain proxies. Uh, so, for example, in uh, brands, I don't actually look at revenue too much. Mm. I look at uh, the quantities sold. Mm. Because the ASPs could sure. be misleading. Right. So, uh, obviously you have to put things in context in terms of how many users uh, potentially are there in the mm. market. So, I think that in the brand world, if you have a definition of uh, let's say 50,000 units per month, mm. right. so then reasonable critical mass comes mm. in that context. Mein. Right. So, I have some proxies, 20,000, 50,000, 1,000, 1,000,000. So, on that basis, that is how I feel. Ki, and, but, but the key question is, it, uh, quality of revenue is super important. Right. So, you should not be uh, giving too much of discount. That's why the whole economics have to work. Mm. Right. Uh, and then basically, that is when it's right. Otherwise, mm. that's a more objective definition. Right. But then, if I see a softer definition, mm. dekhun, so how many people are vouching for your product? Correct. What is your NPS score? And mm -hmm. generally, right. people are saying that it's different. That gives you a good sense. It makes, makes tons of sense. And I have a similar framework. I think almost identical actually. But there's bring down three steps in that order. The first step is uh, you know, some proxy for customer love. Do people love your product or not? High NPS and high repeat rate. Okay. If NPS okay. or repeat rate, then people don't love your product. It doesn't matter. It's like both of them. Second is a sustainable contribution margin. Okay. If people love your product but contribution margin is negative, you don't have product market which means people are not willing to pay. There is no value you are able to generate yeah, yeah. or demand for that. And third is predictable growth rate. If both of them but they are not growing, some healthy, you know, in the early days has to be very high double-digit growth rates. If they are consistently, then I think it's a classic I think you put this in a nice framework. This is exactly what I was trying to yeah, do. Correct, correct, correct. Related to what you are saying. So let, now let's zoom out. Right? I think you have obviously grown a lot as a leader. I think you've gone through, you know, all the classical phases of, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, various ups and downs, reinventing yourself and all of that. Today, looking back, you know, how do you describe, you know, what is core two or three traits of you as a leader? Like, you know, what is your know, fundamentals of your own you know, leadership style? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's me, uh, uh, yeah, I think if I were to just talk about what, uh, my approach is I truly believe in empowered culture. Mm. In fact, uh, uh, the reason why people should come to work for health yeah. is actually empowerment. Right. Because I take a lot of pride in terms of basically, uh, uh, you know, getting high potential people, yeah. giving them the freedom, just right. like an entrepreneur mm. would truly believe in and letting them blossom. Yeah. So basically, the first trademark is a, I try to add value only where I can. Yeah. And I'm very, very okay to accept that I don't want But ultimately, I'm very involved in the model stage. I'm, mm. If I think about basic things, I'm always looking for that model or that problem mm. solving and what is your approach and yeah. does the model become sustainable right. ultimately. Mm. But once I get comfort on that, and I get a comfort on somebody's leadership style, then I basically step right. back. Mm. So ultimately, core thing is to create this like-minded group of people right. and give them the freedom 
and from my perspective keep looking for these mm-hmm. models right. and uh, basically grow very very simple okay super clear so empowered culture you know get uh, high caliber people and give them autonomy and freedom and, and don't try to add value where you can't don't try. that's <laughs> the point yeah i think you know sometimes a leader because you have the you know people call that hippo culture uh okay. it's something stands for you know i think highest paid individuals opinion okay and you know a lot of companies have that right you know because who are the senior most person you know they tend to hog all the talk time and no matter how much you know empowered culture you are trying to create but ultimately junior people are not speaking up i think is because is it okay sorry finish yeah no wait but rather you know it's a knowing what you're saying that uh, where you can't add value or stepping out of that you know some it's a very important like pulling back is as important as you know leaning in and participating at the same time very very curious okay. i think to uh, basically mai kisi se baat baithunga to mai sahne ki koshish karunga aise kyun kar raha hai kaise kar raha hai kya kar raha hai but uh, but ultimately agar mai ek simplistic correlation karu meri company mein mujhe lagta hai mera calendar sabse zyada khali rehta hai to mujhe kabhi bhi koi bhi kuch bolta hai mai yaar mai to khali ho right because i spend most of my time brainstorming or trying to because there are always three to four mm-hmm. questions that right. you're trying to zoom towards yeah. and i'm constantly searching for that direction because i believe that those models can unlock yeah. a significant amount of yeah. value uh, while you have to maintain the right balance on execution right. but basically execution mein once you're comfortable with the team so that's broadly the style again i think you're indicating something uh, looks simple but i think a very very powerful thing i think most leaders should have empty calendar If your calendar and anyway, everyone in watching this can check. If your calendar is full, as per your senior leadership position, which means you are doing things that a lot of other people in your team should be doing. Either you're not hiring right, or you're not able to let go, or you're not empowering or training people. And the worst of all is you have no time to zoom out and look at a big picture. You are just you know lost in the everyday nitty gritty and details. So I think at some point you know I start to grow in the middle management zone. So your calendar start to fill up. Yeah. At some point, learning and pulling back, and you know the calendar should show bell curve. <laughs> Otherwise, you know you are kind of just stuck in that in too much or fire fighting. So your thinking time has to be high, and it has to be high quality thinking. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that is. Uh... So you have, you have, you know, very enviable position. You know, as far as you know, muscle blazing health card is concerned, right? You are in control of destiny. You know, very well capitalized, profitable, consider growing. You know. a uh, number of market share so like what happens next 5 years you know what are your dreams and aspirations so basically look i uh, so as i was saying that i feel lucky that we have gotten to a scheme yeah. which can allow us to sustain ourselves that was the number one role basically now i feel that this is a great opportunity uh, in terms of basically scaling the platform to the next level so a i am working on uh, getting the profitability in place uh, overall for next year second i also feel that uh, there's a great opportunity to take some of the proprietary technology that we have built internationally that can increase uh, the reach of the platform and want to basically do that and third thing that i'm working on is basically we are also looking for some partnerships strategic partnerships if possible in this space so ultimately the goal is i am looking at this as a 10 year journey and we want to be the largest platform in nutrition and keep partnering and keep making it big so very very simple goals now not fancy you know it's outstanding is you know quite relatable also from cult vantage point i think see the good thing is about obviously you know you want to build a large business i want cult to be large business but i think we are also playing a very active role in shaping the evolution of fitness in the country like i have you know and like you also been very deep believer that fitness is very important for people you know people need to be active they need to move so which means whatever you know you can do something at home or you can go for a jog or go to a gym 
and you know have right nutrition and somewhere you know supplementation through you know whey protein etc is an important part of that so i think the impact also on the lives of you know literally millions of people is also very exciting part of this yeah. journey you know going ahead uh, just so you you started your own personal fitness journey very very early <laughs> Have you kept up with that fitness journey? Uh, like how has been? I'm going to be honest. Look, uh, Mukesh, you're way there. <laughs> I've, I've been, uh, I've been. Uh, so look, I've been consistent, but the forms of fitness, the rigor is uh, kind of mellowed down significantly. So, uh, so I follow a very simple home workout routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, uh, I have like this basic. Uh, I do a lot of push-ups. Yeah. I do uh, squats and I do sit-ups. So basically, I do three right. kind of uh, exercises yeah. in the morning. And then I picked up walking quite a bit. Right. Uh, this happened during the COVID phase, uh-huh. so I consistently do like maybe ten to fifteen thousand right. steps every day. Oh, ten to fifteen thousand. Okay. Basically, and I've done like maximum I've done like thirty thousand steps. Okay. Also. So right. basically, I just yeah. love walking and thinking. So I think from general health and fitness model, that's great. You know, basically, what you're saying is you are active throughout the day. You are walking. Your move. Their movement is there, and you are doing some resistance training using mostly your body weight, right? You know, which gets the job done. But when you look back your old pictures of 18 inch biceps, you don't feel <laughs> tempted. I never got to the 18 inch biceps. My goal is 16. Yeah, okay. But I know, I know. 16 is okay, okay. 15, 16, 14. Don't feel tempted to one day rebuild uh, that uh, and use muscle blaze I used to get there. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen now. Are you going to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. No, no, definitely I am a big proponent of strength training is quite important in general. I think there's a misconception that basically, you know, uh, it becomes difficult, difficult with age, but actually it's more and more important, I guess. So, no, no, absolutely. And I mean, I track, you know, generally the world of longevity. One of the things that people are now propagating a lot is, you know, as you age, maintaining muscle mass is one of the biggest indicator of slowing down aging yeah. so especially i think people in their 40s 50s 60s having some kind of resistance training is super important other thing is people who have never done resistance training you know i mean as as we talked earlier you see gains very fast first time you know lift a dumbbell or a barbell yeah. start doing even very light bit just within two three months you start to see change i think so it's a i think resistance training is for everybody irrespective of the age okay one question for you look basically obviously uh, uh you know, one change that I've seen in you, like what, 25 years ago mm. versus this, this whole discipline, mm. I think, uh, you know. I was not disciplined today. You, you, know, you were disciplined, <laughs> but you were very tempted with one passion and yeah. sort of super, super uh, deep into that. Right. But this whole discipline of, uh, and I'm super impressed with this whole fitness discipline mm. that you've maintained right. for I don't know how many years now. Yeah. Uh, so basically, what? Uh, like how have you is it like very very conscious effort that you have to do to kind of do this? I think it's definitely conscious effort at some point you know see you start to understand the underlying fundamental principles you know one of the and we talked earlier also this whole idea of compounding the compounding I think is the most powerful principle I think in operating because anything big you know whether you even look at even evolution you know it's also functional compounding I think I think Einstein is supposed to have said that you know one of the biggest miracle of universe is you know compound interest you know, anything you compound, you know. So I realized once it clicked, here you long term or the only way anything compounding you have to be consistent day after day. For that, then you arrive at you know habit. So at some point I'm looking into like how do you deliberately cultivate habit. In fact, we are actually doing a one full episode on just habit building, right? You know, and these are topic I'll talk more about. And at some point I as you know, like I, I get tempted with projects, I want to do more things, but I realize that time is limited. 
the only way to do that is continue deliberately investing in productivity. So that has been a kind of hobby interest for me last 15 years. You know, I've looked into it and boiled it to something simple. I think you have to cultivate, you know, see, discipline is very difficult, I think. Habits are easy. If habit becomes a habit, it's going to be yourself. So I think that's probably the more anchor, but I have built, you know, today, just for me, it's autopilot. I'm switch, I'm in the gym, it doesn't matter what's going on. But just say people who do entrepreneurship and all that, look, it's it's a pretty rough journey, at least in the first few years. And, you know, it's like time is limited. You have to do everything. And to scale your fitness or something, right. the what, what, what do you tell these people? See, I think, again, what I learned, I also initially tried to do long hours, etc. But when you introspect and realize, I really think it's not that I'm producing more if I work 15, 16 hours. Eventually, I realized that my you know, uh, efficiency started to drop off after 10 hours. The quality of thinking goes for a toss. Sometimes even temper goes for a toss. You know, you're just uh, <laughs> not, you know, not absorbing. So it appears from a distance you're putting in all those hours, yeah. but effectiveness is not there. So for me, sweet spot is like if I can get 8 to 10 hours of high quality time, yeah. My output is no question, it's way better than if I somehow slog for 15-16 hours. Yeah. So I think for the foreseeable, for longest period of time, I think I, I don't work more than 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Obviously there are sometimes, you know, the firefighting situation, people sure. stretch. I think that, you know, when you understand neuroscience of brain, how our brain works, right, it's just, we don't have the ability to focus and concentrate on something for many, many hours at a time. No one can do it. Yeah. Like even, you know, really top caliber people, they will do very intense amount of work for a few hours yeah. and recharge their brain. I think after I realized that and also more intuitive understanding. So personally for me, I don't see need. I would rather, you know, so can again use this, I think Abraham Lincoln's quote, right? You know, if you give me a six hours to chop down a tree, I'll use five hours to sharpen the saw. I think that applies to all our work also. There's no point, you know, just take a blunt instrument, keep hacking, you know, six hours, you know, <laughs> this is not going to make progress. Yeah. No, it's a great advice because uh, people need to Definitely not, uh, you know, maintain a balance in like right. rest and sleep uh, to have a sustained journey. Yeah, and it's like you were talking about virtuous cycle, right? I think there's a great virtuous cycle in this. You know, when you sleep well, you work out in the morning, you're so pumped up and charged up when you go to work, your mind is clear, yeah. you are not affected by the stress. So it's not that, you know, that time is taking away from your productivity, yeah. is adding back, you know, with the interest of your productivity. So I don't think there is a choice that you can do this or that. So I think, you know, this uh, idea we're talking about of, you know, compounding habit, I'm pretty sure like you couldn't have gotten here where you are, you know, without having some habits to go back to. So if you reflect back on your own life, what are those critical habits, which has played a you know, big role in, you know, achieving, you know, what you have achieved? So I think fitness habit or that always, you know, some routine right. sort of uh, take your sort of mind off uh, and basically consistently at least keep coming back to this yeah. has certainly stayed with me overall. Uh, second, I think uh, uh, I'm I'm generally not taken too much of stress overall. Right. And my approach on solving problem, I don't know if it categorizes a habit or whatever, but basically sometimes you tend to overreact when mm-hmm. you think, oh, yeah. and you get like you you know basically you, I'm not very very quick to react. Mm-hmm. I'm always like take things, yeah. absorb. And then basically within, you know, three, four days, basically you take a patient approach in terms of solving this. Yeah. Uh, and then other than that, basically, you know, uh, there's also a little bit of travel habits and all that, which right. is taken, which sort of uh, earlier on, I used to think like basically all your time needs to go here. Yeah. But uh, I'm still, I believe that I'm 
still reasonably workaholic but right. still mm-hmm. uh, i think there's the balance of these three four right. things well, i think it's mostly mostly this one so i think most of you know habits are around you know consistency and calm and composure you know yeah. not getting you know just too carried away in the yeah. moment and that probably leads to just overall patiently doing the right things so all over most time. of the feedback that i get is i'm quite patient yeah. so i uh, because i've seen some people like react very quickly and right. i just feel that yeah. you know the world is going to come to an end yeah. but uh, but i think that uh, that has certainly helped me sort of maintain a long term yeah you know people say patience is virtue and especially if you want to try to do something in a long period of time it does require a lot of patience and equanimity i think sabir has been you know fascinating conversation i think you know health card and muscle base i think are absolutely a role model companies for anyone trying to build d2c brands i think is built based on fundamentals you know deep consumer insights lot of deep product work you know leading all the way up to i think 15 patents now right you know you guys are doing cutting edge research you know it's probably in the nutraceutical space i think very few people in the country are doing you also build the business very patiently yeah. you know over a period of time where it's you know, steadily growing you know hit profitability and just quietly continue gain market share i think there is no doubt that you know you guys will have probably i don't know 40 50% market share in due course and this will you know continue to compound over a very long period of time i think i see it's a you know crossing 1000 crores is one milestone yeah. but in over long term it is going to be you know many many thousands of crores worth you know and very meaningful valuable company i think i can see the way you build a company is a reflection of your personality you are very thoughtful about things you know deliberate you are not trying to optically manage things or trying yeah. to you know project up any image i think uh, in consumer brands i personally believe that there's no shortcut right. and i think if you uh, have reasonable sort of resources in terms yeah. of capital and all that uh, i think the big differentiator for not all these brands is take a long term view versus nice. be forced to take a short term yeah so clearly that I in fact i'm very excited about the cult business also because yes. i think these two businesses sort of go hand in hand that yeah. view and eventually i think there's a long journey for india no no absolutely yes absolutely i think i'm pretty sure a lot of cult users are very heavy users <laughs> of muscle blaze and you know that should uh, continue but also you know just you know, i think there a lot of people are interested in building all kind of d2c brands i think uh, muscle blaze is one very strong case study i think everyone should look it up pay attention to that i think there are a lot of lessons to learn from that you know i think you are very generous with sharing you know your journey and your learning and insights as great also to you know get hold of you and look back and reflect on all the memories some we could discuss some we couldn't we we'll save it for some other time but uh, thanks so much Samir, for taking that time no, no, thanks for inviting me mukesh really exciting and i'm really excited about this platform also i think uh, you are inviting people across multiple industries great learning for understanding how these industries work absolutely i'm having a lot of fun thank you so much thanks At Sparks, we aim to bring to you stories of exponential impact. We share in-depth analysis of what goes behind success stories. If you find our conversations interesting, you can join us by subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can also listen to Sparks on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any other audio platform of your choice. If you have any suggestions on who we should invite or what topics we need to cover, just let us know in the comments. We are always listening, looking for ways to improve, and keep getting better as we go along.